And now, introducing the man who celebrates every National Milk Day with a warm milk shower, followed by a morning Milky Way, and then finishes it off with some milk of magnesia for his morning constitutional. He'll suckle at your teeth and do your body good. He is Glenn Clark. Good morning. It is Glenn Clark Radio. I am Glenn Clark. He is Paul Valley. We are here on a Tuesday edition of the program with much to do. Congratulations to Georgia on winning the college football national championship. I admit that I was surprised because Alabama was involved with the game, and normally when Alabama is involved with the game, you know, they win. That's typically the way that that works. So, um, you know. I, I was a bit surprised by that. Are we uh are we are we transitioned yet? Are we on the screen ourselves? I don't know how I keep doing that. Yeah, we'll work on it. We'll work on it. We'll get there. One of these days, I swear, before you know, we'll edit it all out before it ever makes the air. Nobody'll ever know. We'll just <laughs> go back and we'll we'll make I it. I did it yesterday. So there you go. Congratulations. And you I got did, one. And I did it on Thursday. Are we sure though? Yes. All right, I don't know. Yes. I, I don't I don't I don't score every show for what it's worth. I leave that up to our official scorekeeper, Jim Henneman. Hopefully he's on that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so congratulations to Georgia. They win the national championship. A game that ended up being um, you know, compelling for as boring as it was in the first half. Ended up being fairly compelling. And obviously it, it looked like dramatically Stetson Bennett was going to cost Georgia the game and the national title. And then um, he comes to life and, and throws a massive, huge touchdown pass. And then uh, they ice it away on the pick six, and Georgia wins the uh, the title. It's it's nice, uh, you know, just mix it up, have a different SEC team win it every now and then. That's a that's a nice thing. It's a nice feeling when, you know, like every couple of years, someone else from the same conference. Obviously, we're not going to go crazy and like think that the Pac-12 is going to win a national championship. That sure as hell never going to happen. Um, but nice to see it uh, mixed up. I believe in. I would have to go back. I would have to do the math on when the last time anyone besides the SEC, Clemson, or Ohio State won the national championship. Honest to God, off the top of my head, I don't remember. I mean, I don't. It might be Vince Young was the last time that someone besides those three schools won the national championship. Didn't Florida State win in, like, 2013 with James Winston? Oh, yeah, Winston? with James Winston. You're right about that. All right, there you go. That's the one. James Winston did win a national championship at Florida State. So there's, there's the other one. I had somebody over the weekend. Nick Saban said something really stupid over the weekend about NIL, like, um, it it it's gonna uh, create less disparity or something like that, and I'm like, how are, are you drunk? He had <laughs> the, he had the same opinion that I had on Friday that's like, gonna make like people is, decide where they're gonna go. There is no no, it wasn't that. It was like the exact. I, let me see if I can pull it up because I it was so incredibly. Nick Saban's a damn good football coach, obviously, but this was just so alarmingly stupid. Like it was so breathless the way that he said it that it was it was pure art. I mean, it was theater. Reading this, to, I'm like, there's just no way a human being could say this, knowing what they know about the sport of college football. Um, oh, I got to get through all my tweets during the. Oh, here we go. This is from Ross Dellinger's uh, tweet tweeter. Uh, Ross Dellinger covers football, uh, college football for SI. Uh, more from Saban on NIL. Quote, we need some kind of national legislation to control that. There will be an imbalance as to who dominates college football if it isn't regulated. What? <laughs> there will be an imbalance to college football. No! Well, we better stop that. It would be horrible if there were an imbalance 
to who dominated college football, that would be terrible. You better get on that. Like he said it. And just there's just like a no thought, no thought in his head to realize the words that he's saying. Oh, God, an imbalance in college football. Oh, the horror. The horror. (laughs) There might be two teams that have a chance to win the national championship instead of three every year. My God, the breathless stupidity of... And I, again, Nick Saban is, of course, a very good college football coach. He's been very successful. But we just say things. Like there is no thought to what we're saying. We just say them. And because of Nick Saban, nobody's actually challenging him because he like runs the, the college football world. The, the universe rev- the revolves around him. Um, so nobody bothers to say, like, hey, uh, uh, Nick, the thing about that is uh, <laughs> there is literally no sport in the world that has a greater imbalance than college football. It could not be more imbalanced. Nobody bothers to say that. And then I had, you know, a bunch, I, I tweet something out about it, how insane it was. And a bunch of Alabama fans, of course, get all, you know, pissy because how dare you ever not just, you know, lick the boots of Nick Saban or whatever. And again, get it, Nick Saban, very good football coach. You know, very good. It helps when you have your wide receivers, clearly. It's, it's much more difficult to do that without your wide receivers. Um, but if you don't just lick the boots, if you ever challenge anything that Nick Saban says, you're crazy. Yeah, he knows what he's talking. I swear to God, I w- there was one particular tweet that was just the most amazing thing I've ever. Um, uh, this was an Alabama fan who said uh, he was right about hurry up and no huddle and RPO rules, the effect of playoffs and the transfer portal. He's telling you now it's about to get worse. Because, again, if Nick Saban says it, it's Bible. Like, write it down because he's the smartest man that's ever lived. To which I like I, I, I said back, there's literally four chance, four schools that have a chance at winning a national championship. It cannot get worse. It is impossible. You cannot create a greater imbalance to the sport of college football. Kansas State has no chance of winning a national championship. And if they have no chance, Maryland has negative chances. And they're one of the power schools. It's this goofy bit where we allow schools to compete for a national championship they could never win. They're not allowed to. That's how the system's set up. California is there to participate, but you better not win. Imagine Washington State, Boston College. None of them have a chance of winning. Nick Saban says, you're going to create an imbalance. Oh, you're telling me Arizona might not win the national championship? That would be crazy. (laughs) Missouri's in the SEC and can't win a national championship. Vanderbilt is in the conference that matters and can't, has no prayer of winning. But you don't want to create that imbalance, Nick Saban. That would that would be awful. That would just be awful. I don't know why I got on that today after the national championship. Uh, congratulations to Georgia. <laughs> Good for them. I, I I don't I don't. It's tough for me. Like I watched it because of the national championship game, and we're getting to the point of the year where there just aren't a lot of events. There aren't a lot of things for us all to sit around and watch together on Twitter. 
Um, which is a fun thing to do, of course. It's always very fun to, to watch a sporting event with other people on Twitter. And, you know, like, um, it's not, Twitter's not really, opening day is not a day for Twitter, even if we get one. It's just not a day for Twitter because people are actually, you know, going to the game and drinking copious amounts of alcohol. And so they're not really on their, on their game. Also, it happens in the afternoon, which is not a good time for, for Twitter events. So we got the NFL playoffs and then that's it. Until I guess the NCAA tournament starts, I take that bet. The NCAA tournament is a pretty good. It it's not perfect because the best rounds of the NCAA tournament, of course, the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament, really the first two days of the NCAA tournament, the best two days of the tournament, and because that's also a lot of afternoon, it's not like the ideal. And some people are watching different games than you are, so it's not really a great Twitter event. But it's at least something until we get to the real ones, like deep into the NBA playoffs, they become good Twitter events again. Or if there perhaps happens to be like a particularly great game during the course of the NBA playoffs, that becomes a good Twitter event. Um, there's just nothing quite like sitting around watching a game and, and, and reading everybody's tweets and having everybody into it. So I watched and it was, um, you know, it was good. It was good. It was a good, compelling game. And, um, and God, yeah, good for Georgia, I guess. I don't know, man. It, 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 I don't really feel anything towards the SEC at all. Like, I don't know how you can be a good story in the SEC because, like, you're the ones that have a chance. Um, but Georgia hadn't won in, in a long time. So in that context, in the context that there can be a good story, I guess they're about as good as it can get. And you just sort of have to accept that. I have no other take. I do think I might be a Jordan Davis guy. We'll start talking about the draft. Um, we'll do our first draft segment this week. We'll let it be KZ for the first one, and then we'll start uh, putting on weekly draft analysts, draft experts uh, between now and the NFL draft. And I'm I'm starting like I have not spent a lot of time. It's not like most years where it was wide receivers that I was obsessed with. Like I haven't really trust me. I'm still in love with wide receivers because wide receivers are great. And like I'm all in on Chris Olave from Ohio State. I think he's special. Um, Garrett Wilson's really good too, but I really like Chris Olave. I just don't think the Ravens are using the 14th pick on the wide receiver because I don't think they're moving on from Hollywood Brown before the draft. Now, if they do, right, if they were to decide to trade him, then I do think that wide receiver comes back into play. I'd be surprised by this franchise using back-to-back first-round picks on wide receivers. That would be, I mean, literally unheard of. But I'd be interested at that point. So because it's not wide receivers and we're just so used to being obsessed with wide receivers going to the draft around here, it's a different world. And when you're talking about offensive linemen and, you know, maybe defensive linemen, it's just not as sexy to have watched, like, highlight videos and to have been paying attention to them during college football season. So, admittedly, I'm not going to sit here and pretend to you that at today I have a feeling about any of the offensive line options for the Ravens in the first round. I do – Jordan Davis from Georgia, as far as defensive linemen are concerned, that's definitely a guy that I have been paying attention to and a guy that I am intrigued by and interested in. Edge rushers, I'm not certain of yet. I'm going to have to think about a little bit more, spend more time with it. Again, the Ravens season just ended a couple of days ago. you got to give me a little bit of time before I have more of a feeling for it. But we will uh, get heavy into draft coverage, obviously, in the coming weeks and start bringing on some – Uh, draft experts and obviously the prospects as well with college football season now also being over weird bit where the neither all-star game neither the uh the east-west game or the senior bowls until february this year because of course the super bowl got pushed back a week and i i guess the east-west game pushed back as well because of covid like they they wanted to make sure they bought themselves a bit more time so neither of them are until that weekend that traditionally was always super bowl weekend 
So with the Super Bowl being bumped back to the second weekend of February, the first weekend of February is now the weekend for the All-Star Games, which is really when like draft stuff sort of kicks into high gear because you know all the scouts and all the teams go down to Mobile and look at players, and that's the first time you really start seeing movement as far as draft prospects are concerned. Most of the top draft prospects sit those games out, though, right? No. Well, the top quarterbacks do. Yeah. Most of the top – so there's two things. One, if you're an underclassman, you can't participate. Gotcha. Um, if if you're a three-year guy, if you're a, if you're a four-year guy that used a redshirt year, you can call yourself a senior. You can participate. Good morning, by the way, Ben Lamoon. Great to hear from you. Uh, love Ben. Love Duffy's. Love uh, Window Depot. God bless you. Um if you're a if if you've got used four years of eligibility, you can participate. You can call yourself a senior. If you've only used three years of eligibility, then you don't typically you, you can't go to one of those games. Gotcha. Um, and then the top quarterbacks, well, typically the top quarterbacks happen to be three year guys, right? Like typically the guys or guys that might like go and say, "I'm not going to play in the game, but I'll participate in all the stuff during the week." And this year might be a little bit different because it's not a like this is a weird year for the draft as a whole because the presumptive number one pick is a defensive end. Like it's the first year in a while that the quarterbacks aren't the guys that are dominating the top of the draft. Um, that that like yes, there are guys that are thought of as potential first round quarterbacks, um, Kenny Pickett and um, the kid from Liberty Willis and uh, Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati. There are there are first round quarterbacks that are presumed to be in this draft. Matt Coral, of course, from Ole Miss, but none of them right now are being talked about. In, until you see teams start trying to trade up, none of them are being looked at as either the top pick or even, say, top three picks in this draft. It's just a weird draft in that way that we're so used to the quarterbacks being the headline, and the quarterbacks are not the headliners in this draft. Like Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan is the presumed number one overall pick, and part of that is the Jaguars have the number one overall pick. They're obviously not using it on a quarterback. Mm-hmm. So they need heavy demand from teams to move up to be able to trade it out of their spot, and the demand just doesn't seem there at this, to be there at this point for those quarterbacks. So we might see those quarterbacks participate a little bit more than they typically do because they're not considered surefire top three, top five picks. And then you're talking about a, di- a real difference in money. If the first quarterback doesn't go until eighth or tenth in the draft, you want to demand that a team that needs a quarterback has to move up to get you because it's going to get you more money. So it might be that these players want to go participate a little bit more and sort of show themselves off uh, a little bit more this year in order to try to move up in the draft. We'll see. We'll see. Don't know how that's going to play out. And obviously it's not germane to Baltimore because the Ravens have a quarterback. They just got to get to the part where they pay him. That's the way that's got to work. All right, so there's that. Um, what else did I have? I feel like I had something else on the docket yesterday. Oh, we still we didn't get anything, any news um, related to Ravens and coordinators. Nothing like that came out. Everybody wanted to overanalyze Lamar Jackson's comments. I, there is, I, I'm in the nicest way possible. Lamar Jackson was asked about Greg Roman. There is nothing on any side to read into it. Everything that Lamar Jackson said was exactly what Lamar Jackson said or would say. Love Greg Roman. That you know, the, he's a hell of a coach. But I don't make those decisions. Anybody who wants to read into that is him saying, "Ah, he's 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 being political, and he just can't. He wants to say he hates the guy." There's nothing about that comment that suggests that. Nothing, zero about the comment that suggests that's true. On the flip side, if you want to say, "Well, this is why you know they're going to keep Greg Roman," is because he loves him as. A- Stop it! Stop it! 
it's all just a formality. It's all part of the ceremony of the season ending. The guys get on and do their exit interviews with the media. They're asked the questions. It's this, they're all going to say the same thing. Everybody who's a free agent says, I'd love to be back. I'm going to let my agent handle that. Now, you have to get them to say it because reporters have to write stories. And when you write a story, you have to have a quote when you talk about it. So despite the fact that we know exactly what every single one of these guys is going to say, you still have to go through the formality of having them say it. We're going to write a thing about uh, 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 the offense coordinator, write a story about Greg Roman. We'll ask all the offensive players what they think about Greg Roman. What are they going to say? They're going to say, hey, you're not going to believe this, but um, I was just talking to Steve Bishotti five minutes ago, and he said, I'm going to give the guy a 10-year deal, be here forever. <laughs> Is that what you think they're going to say? Do you think they're going to say, I hate the guy with a burning passion, and I hope he dies in the pits of hell? Like, what do you think these guys are going to say? None of it means anything. And I'm not trying to be a nihilist. I'm not trying to, to say the world is pointless. I'm just trying to say we, Twitter exists in part to get people to get worked up about things that don't matter. And so because of that, y'all do a really good job of getting worked up about things that don't matter. But be real. There is nothing to be learned. It's just part if you're a writer, you have to do your job. Your job is to write a story. In order to write the story, you have to get a quote from a player. That's the quote that you got from the player. Does it mean anything? No. Nothing. Zero. But dead zero. It's all ignore it. Pretend like it doesn't exist. Because there's nothing that they can say. In the same way that a pending free you think a pending free agent is going to walk here and just say, this has been, I've, these have been the worst years of my life. I hate every guy in that locker room. I want out of this place immediately. Antonio Brown might. He's not on the team, <laughs> so he doesn't get to do the exit interviews. Except at the strip club. He might have done an extra, uh, exit interview when he was hanging out with professional wrestler Hook at the strip club over the weekend. Apparently Kanye West. Because those are definitely two guys that should probably be hanging out together. That's probably good for society that those two individuals are spending time together. <laughs> Jesus. Um, there's just there's nothing. There's zero that you can take from anything like that. So it's part of the exercise. They do it. Uh, it'll be John Harbaugh that when, when he's asked about it, that will be the one that matters. And honest to God, I don't even know when the John Harbaugh thing is. That's how removed I am from being on the beat. Like, I still get emails about these things, but I don't remember seeing an email about it. So, Don't they usually do their State of the Ravens at some point in the next month Typically, so? Typically. Uh, they, I mean, they, they, I don't think they're going to do a State of the Ravens. Mm. Um that that's always an event. That's always a John Harbaugh would do a a call himself before State of the Ravens. State mm -hmm. of the Ravens, I want to say traditionally was either Super Bowl week or somewhere around there, depending on if they were in the playoffs. It wasn't the two days after the season ended. Normally, right. it was normally some distance for that. Right, like, John, a month, like a month. But John Harbaugh would typically do an event, a, a a press conference before then, because he would normally do a Monday press conference mm -hmm. after a game. But he hasn't done one yet. I I don't, not to my knowledge. I yeah. believe. Oh, we've been everywhere. If he um, had. yeah, I believe that he's going to do one this week, and and it might even be that they've they've said when he's going to do one, but I I just haven't gotten um. Or I haven't looked at my email to, to find out if that's true. All right. Today's show is brought to you by Live Casino and Hotel. I, uh, I worked the Loyola game last night. 
And right before the game began, my partner, uh, Jim Chivers, looked at me and said, hey, you told me what the number was for the game. I said, dude, I don't like that. I think I'm betting the under on that. And he said, all right, I'll do it. Sorry. Sorry. You should have been with me. I would have given you that hot tip to bet the under last night on the uh, Loyola game, which came through. Nice win for Loyola over Bucknell. Um, Anyway, the moral of the story, of course, is that you can bet in person now at the all-new FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover, Maryland. Bet on all of the games, and they got the self-service kiosks so you don't even have to talk to another human being. It's a, it is a seamless process. It could not be easier. Plus, you got the best seat in the house there, the FanDuel Sportsbook, with all of the screens, all of the games up, great food, great atmosphere. they got massaging chairs. they got games you can play while you're there. Uh, you can wander out in the casino. There's so many great re- – it's just a, such a cool atmosphere. Live Casino Hotel in Hanover. Coming up in just a few minutes, Dave Ginsburg unveils his Hall of Fame ballot. We do it every year. We'll find out who Ginsy thinks deserves to get in. There's starting to be some rumblings, um, like the folks at BBHOF Tracker that uh, I've known for a long time, like those guys, Ryan Thibodeau and um, his team. There's starting to be some rumblings that the math's starting to make it look like nobody's getting in again. And, you know, it's obviously what happens when you have highly controversial players that are involved and um, it's looking more and more as though even in their final year of eligibility, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens might come up just a bit short. Uh, we'll talk about that more here in a second. With And it looks like David Ortiz might come up short. That's the only one that's surprising to me. I thought that like the, this group of writers would be happy to show their ass and hold other guys out that use steroids but then happily vote David Ortiz in despite the fact that we know he used steroids as well. Um, just because he was likable while the other guys weren't. So I just sort of thought that would be the way the writers would show their ass. And it's, I would certainly, I still lean to the idea that eventually David Ortiz is going to get in, and it, it'll be a way for the writers to show their ass. There are human beings that aren't voting for Barry Bonds that are going to vote for David Ortiz. And it's just the dumbest thing that you could ever possibly imagine. I mean, imagine that being the case. Imagine voting for Barry Bonds, or not voting for Barry Bonds, who was legitimately one of the greatest baseball players of all time, and then voting for David Ortiz, who was a good baseball player, a good one, based on what he did, he, he didn't, you know, play defense, he didn't, like, run the bases, but what he did, he was, he was very good at, not as good as Barry Bonds, but he was very good at it, and they both used steroids. We know that. And imagine voting for this guy and not voting for that guy. But somebody did. Somebody did. And, and others will. There's no doubt about it. Um, we'll do that in just a couple of minutes. Later on this morning, of course, Patrick Stevens will join us for our weekly conversation about college hoops. I mentioned I was at Loyola last night. They beat Bucknell. Navy's rolling. They're 4-0 in the Patriot League. Maryland is uh, also participating in college basketball season, and I think you get a nice uh, uh, trophy for that. There is a weird bit going on where, like, people that people that were around Mark Turgeon are getting hypersensitive about everything. My buddy Jeff Ehrman from Inside MD Sports sent out like a really innocuous tweet on Sunday night. Like, I wonder, I wonder what this feels like for for Mark Turgeon to watch all of these guys he cares about have to go through this. You know, like the thing his team he built, he put it all together. It didn't work, and then he just bailed. I wonder what it's like for him that. And, like, Mark Turgeon's son came after him. And I'm like, dude, wait. he's not saying Mark Turgeon's a piece of S. He's just asking, I wonder what it's like. Like, it couldn't be a more innocuous tweet. Mm. And it's a fair point. Like, it's a fair 
I mean, I, I don't really care personally. I don't Mark. know that Turgeon's paying attention. Maybe I think, he is. But I think it'd be very. I I think Mark Turgeon hates Maryland. I don't. I think that you're. These are personal relationships, and when personal mm-hmm. relationships are involved, it becomes very difficult to separate yourself. And like Danny Manning's legitimately his best friend. You know what I mean? I I don't. It might be that he's utterly capable of just completely tuning it out and saying, nah, I, I, I don't want to care because it's too close. I don't know. I don't know. But it's a fair, it's a fair question for, for Jeff Ehrman to ask, even if I don't actually care about it. Like, I'm just so removed. I don't care. The, the topic of Mark Turgeon, I don't care any longer. He's gone. It's what it is. It's insane that it happened the way that it did. It's insane. The parties couldn't get it figured out beforehand, but he's gone, right? Like, he's gone. Um... They need to hire a basketball coach, and unfortunately, they still have to participate in this basketball season despite the fact that there were people talking about how few people that were in College Park on Sunday. And I'm like, imagine going to that. Imagine on a Sunday night when it's five degrees outside, deciding to yourself, I'm going to go to the Maryland basketball game. They don't have a coach. They're not going anywhere. They're not doing anything. Imagine going to that. It's mm-hmm. just, it's, it's this lifeless thing that has to continue. But, it's continuing, so I, I guess we'll discuss it as warranted. It, it does look like it could become a, you know, almost a complete. They, I mean, like they're competitive. They were certainly very much in that game with Wisconsin um, right until the end. Unfortunately, came up a little bit short. Uh, and then later on in the show, we're gonna chat with Kenji Bahar. Kenji Bahar, of course, Calvert Hall alum, Baltimore native, and a man who got to spend his first NFL season with his hometown team, including getting elevated to the roster a couple of times and dressing and being the backup quarterback in Cincinnati. He didn't play uh, in that game that Josh Johnson played, so he didn't get to make his debut necessarily, but he got to wear the uniform and be out there and be a Baltimore Raven after growing up in Baltimore, which I think is a really cool thing. I'd be really upset if we talked to Kenji Bahar and he's like, yeah, man, I, I rooted for the Eagles growing up. Like, that would be a really disappointing way for that to go. Um, like, I'm, I don't know this because I don't know Kenji Bahar, and I didn't see him doing a lot of interviews this year, so I, I hope that when we talk to him, he's like, yeah, man, I, you know, worshipped at the altar of Ray Lewis and, you know, was a, was a big Ed Reed fan or whatever. It, well, I hope that's what he's saying. I hope that it doesn't become like a... Went to Camden Yards wearing a Yankee hat. Right. Like, I hope it's not that it's not Peter Moore going on about what a Red Sox fan he was. Like, I hope it's not that. I hope it's a Baltimore kid who, like, really loved the Ravens. But we'll find out when we talk to Kenji Bahar a little bit later on about um, what was kind of a unique story for someone uh, who's from here to get to be a Baltimore Raven as a rookie in the NFL. So that's all that's coming up on the program today. Today's show is also brought to you by hmm, the Stan the Fan Variety Hour. Last night, Stan the Fan and Ross Grimsley had a great conversation with Ben McDonald. If you missed it, you can go right now to facebook.com slash pressboxsports, click on the videos tab, or go to pressboxonline.com slash video and see it there. Stan the Fan every Monday night talking baseball with Ross Grimsley, every Wednesday night chatting with a newsmaker in sports alongside Gary Stein. Uh, you can check those shows out, facebook.com slash pressboxsports. When we come back in, it's ballot time. Who is Dave Ginsburg voting for? Is someone going to be any closer to getting in to the Baseball Hall of Fame? We'll chat with a longtime AP sports writer next. It's Glenn Clark Radio. 
Duffy's Garage is a family-owned and operated car care facility in beautiful Baldwin, Maryland. An authorized Maryland inspection station and Napa Pro Care Center with ASE certified techs. Tell them that Glenn Clark sent you and receive 10% off your service with a max discount of $150. You gotta trust where you take your car, so take it to where I take mine. Duffy's Garage in Baldwin. Duffy'sGarageMD.com from all of the biggest games to the smallest events, make every bet worth your while at MyBookie. Start by doubling your first deposit instantly with MyBookie's first deposit bonus up to $1,000. Double your money before you even place a bet, and all you have to do is sign up and deposit using the exclusive promo code PRESSBOX at MyBookie.ag. If your first deposit is $100, MyBookie adds $100 so you can start with $200 to play with. If your first deposit is $1,000, MyBookie adds $1,000 so you can start with $2,000 to play with. With tons of great games and prop bets to take advantage of this week, there is truly something for everyone. Don't wait any longer. Head to MyBookie today to redeem your double deposit bonus so you can start winning big today. That's promo code PRESSBOX to receive double your first deposit instantly in your account. No hassle, no wait. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. Glory Days Grill's winter seasonal menu is back with comfort classics like their house-made meatloaf and short rib grilled cheese. It also features the center-cut sirloin with grilled shrimp, the char-grilled pork tenderloin, grilled meatloaf sandwich, smoky thigh wings with Alabama barbecue sauce, and a Brussels and bacon appetizer. All of these items pair well with Devil's Backbone 8-point IPA or their anniversary IPA brewed by Devil's Backbone. And try their seasonal cocktails, Blood Orange Burger, Urban Cider, Apple Ginger Mule, and Captain's Hot Cider. Find out more and get your order in today at glorydaysgrill.com. Great food, good sports. Window Depot Baltimore provides the highest quality Pro-Via windows, doors, and siding for all budgets. The best is finally affordable. Call them today for a free in-home consultation at 410-941-3499. They also offer Zoom and FaceTime consultations in an effort to practice social distancing. A proud sponsor of the Tyus Bowser Show, you can find out more at windowdepotbaltimore.com. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a wide range of models and trim lines. You can choose the perfect Toyota to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. We can't imagine why you'd want to, but you can watch GCR Live. It's at facebook.com slash Sports. And try to guess whether these guys are wearing any pants. Mobile One full synthetic motor oil helps extend engine life. Visit your local Jiffy Lube service center. Ask for Mobile One. From Dan. Dan says, Glenn, on a day where other coaches were getting fired around the NFL, should we read it all into the idea that the distance that you get further, the less likely the Ravens are to make a coordinator change? That's a fair question, Dan. I would say not yet. I would say... You know, there's not a whole lot of difference in making a decision like this on a Tuesday than it is, say, making it on a Monday. But if you get, again, to the point where John Harbaugh is talking and they haven't done something like that, then yeah, I, I think at that point you can assume it's not coming. I think your general point, the further you get away from the season that a move doesn't happen, yeah, I think you can assume at that point it's not going to. But especially if uh, somebody's contract's not up. If somebody's contract is up, and I think the belief is that both coordinators have another year on their contracts. Um, if but I, that being said, doing something like this on a Tuesday or a Wednesday is not all that drastically different than doing it on a Monday, right? Like it's not. 
I don't think you're yet at a point where you say, well, if they survive 24 hours, there's there's no way a change could be made. I still don't expect personally, you know, I, I think it's better than 50-50 that, that Greg Roman stays. I think it's more like, you know, 80-20 that Wink Martindale stays, although the ironic part being the offense was better than the defense was this season, and yet that's just the unique conversation. Um, but, like, I, the, the further you get away, sure, generically, the more likely it is those guys are staying. We've done this – I don't even remember how many years it's been since this started. It just started out of the blue one year. Um, Dave Ginsburg, someone who I love and has uh, been good to me over the years, always been a friend every time I would see him somewhere. And one year I just thought, like, man, it would be fun to, to have a Hall of Fame conversation with a voter. And, um, you know, he was kind enough to say, yeah, I've never done that before, but I've been willing to do it, and he's kind enough to keep doing it. He has moved into to at least semi-retirement, and we've managed to pluck him away from uh, the islands that he's been – basically living on since going into semi-retirement. He is our friend, longtime Baltimore AP sports writer, Mr. Dave Ginsburg, and he's back with us now here on GCR. Ginsy, what's going on, my friend? How are you? I got to tell you, Glenn, your introduction made me laugh. Hey, man. Uh, I, yes. I, I, love, I love watching your Facebook now, Dave. I love. <laughs> like, I think to myself, maybe one day I could live. This is You're who I want to be when I grow up now. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm going to tell you, Glenn, I freaking loved my job <laughs> right up until I didn't have the job. Yeah. And then I loved not having the job. Whew. And, you know, uh, doing all the Ravens games, but yep. just doing the games, not having to worry about the, uh, you know, the COVID testing and all that stuff going on at the uh, the palace. Uh, you know, I, I just, uh, I'm having a great time. Yes, uh, I should set up shop in Jamaica Man. soon enough. But, Man. Uh, you know, I've. I, I love being in Baltimore too, so it's all good. One day, my man, you'll find out how good retirement. I, I is. look forward to that day, and I'm in no rush, right? I'm. I still, <laughs> I, to your point, I still enjoy. The, I, when people ask me how we're, I'm like, I don't. I'm not working. I, I get to come in here and yap and pretend like I have any idea what I'm talking about. So uh, I, I'm stealing money is is the way it works. But um, I, I I look forward to being able to. Uh, just post pictures of lobster for some time, man. That's what I look forward to. Uh, Dave, so for people that don't know, uh, we talked about this last year when you announced that you were going to go into semi-retirement or retire from full-time uh, AP coverage. You will continue to vote for how many years? Well, um, it, it's 10 years after you uh, stop being a member of the BBWAA. Okay. But, Glenn, um I'm doing a. I'm still doing a lot of baseball games, and okay. I expect to remain a member of the BBWAA this year. The way it works is, ten years after you've retirement, after your retirement, you still get a vote. So I'm not sure when that's going to kick in. Maybe I hope to do all ten years before kicking it myself. If you know <laughs> what I'm saying, but. Uh, <laughs> I think we can be doing this show as long as you're still it. working. I love because it. Because I feel that I'm still going to be getting a vote. I love everything about that. That's tremendous. <laughs> um, do, do you happen to remember, before we set up your ballot for this year, do you happen to remember who your votes were for last year? I honestly do not. I was, And that's what I thought it might be. I was hoping to find it myself, to be honest with you. And then I was hoping you could bail me out because that was poor show prep on my part. So I'll do my best uh, on that. Not, You know what? Not a big thing because the ballot has changed. And, uh, you know, I will tell you this. Last year I voted for Bonds and Clemens. Um, I had I'd spoken to you, and, and this, this happened before last year. But, you know, a little bit of forgiveness for the steroid era. 
uh, you know, they weren't, uh, these guys were not suspended by MLB. They, they made it through their careers and they had put up tremendous numbers in what was the steroid era. And, you know, it was allowed by baseball uh, for what the, what they were doing. Uh, they, they were never found to, uh, you know, have been completely involved on the field. So anyway, uh, you know, I've relinquished the uh, first few years, no way. Uh, and now I, I, and a lot of voters have followed the same, have followed suit. A lot of, uh, uh, correct. Bonds and Clemens got a lot of votes last year, and I assume they're going to pick up a few more this year as, you know, as you separate yourself from what did happen, uh, and, you know, realize that, heck, you don't know how many people were using steroids back then. Um, I, I think baseball is better for it now, but, you know, uh, the numbers those guys put up uh, are undeniably Hall of Fame numbers. And do I think they use steroids? Well, absolutely. But, you know, there are a lot of a lot of people in that era that used them that we don't even know did. So anyway, those they those two guys were on my ballot. Um, and also, I, I do remember that Mariano uh, was that last year. Uh, you know, um, it was not. So you know, I, I no. Patrick Stevens just sent me your ballot from last year. Thank you, Patrick. I appreciate wow. this, sir. Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Andy Pettit, Sammy Sosa was your ballot last year. Those four names were the guys that you voted for in twenty twenty one. Interesting. I, I had forgotten about Sosa because he's not on my ballot this year. So how, let's um, uh, let's do that then. Well, I, I well you know I, I'll allow you to do this. Why don't you go ahead and tell us? Why don't you go ahead and then we'll talk about who is on and who is not on your ballot this year? As we always do. Uh, okay. Well, uh, Bonds, Clemens, uh, Andy Pettit again. Uh, I'm happy to explain why. Yep. Uh, Todd Helton, David Ortiz. And uh, Mr. Wagner, and, the uh, closer, uh, esteemed closer, who I decided uh, this year finally worthy of getting on my ballot. So again, here's the ballot. Six votes for Dave Correct. Ginsburg this year. Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Andy Pettit, Todd Helton, David Ortiz, and Billy Wagner are the six players that David or uh, that Dave Ginsburg has voted for on his Hall of Fame ballot this year. So I guess let's 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 go through this a little bit. You mentioned you dropped off Sammy Sosa. Why did you drop Sammy Sosa off the ballot this year? Well, uh, you know what? Because while he obviously used steroids, and I've forgiven him for that, the guy corked his bat. Uh, and I, I just, I, I, to me, I just uh, maybe as I get older, I think a little bit more of personality and influence. And while he exuded uh, greatness and, uh, you know, glee during his. Uh, confrontation or battle with McGuire. I just, you know, once he got to the O's, I just saw a, a guy who was interested only in Sammy Sosa and that seemingly, and I, you know, I don't, uh, I don't disparage him for anything, you know, that's his character, but uh, I just didn't think that uh, his numbers combined with his, um, uh, I guess, demeanor in the clubhouse made him worthy of getting on my ballot this year. You are far from the only one. Only 18% of ballots, Sammy Sosa's name, is showing up on this year, despite the fact that he is in his ninth of ten years on the Hall of Fame ballot. Um, you, you've, you've explained Bonds and Clemens before. I mean, I, I, I think that we're all through that. I don't think we need to talk more about it. If you want to – I know we talked about Andy Pettit a year ago. Do you want to talk more about why it is that Andy Pettit remains on your ballot, despite the fact that – you know, he's, he really hasn't picked up steam with a lot of voters, Dave. You know, true enough. 
But the thing about Andy Pettit is, and I'm not big, I'm not big on the Yankees, but uh, this guy was a winner. I mean, that's all. Uh, that's the best thing you can say, and it, and it's a wonderful thing to say about any pitcher. But career record. 256 and 153, won more than 100 more games than he lost. 19 and 10 in the postseason, solid numbers that some of the other guys on the ballot did, couldn't even come close to. And Andy Pettit never had a losing season as a pitcher. Uh, pitched into his 40s. Uh, I just think he's a quality lefty that deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. He put up some great numbers for some... Good teams, Yankees, Houston. Uh, I like him. Uh, I I think he's definitely Hall of Fame worthy right. because the man, quite simply, is a winner. Hang or on. was a winner. I, my, our buddy Paul Valley, who's the new host of the Bat Around, wants to jump in for a second. But I'm gonna I'm gonna do something first, Dave. This is for you. I'm gonna try to do my best Craig Heist here. All right. How in the hell are you voting for Andy Pettit when you wouldn't vote for Mike Messina? <laughs> Uh, Andy Pettit had a couple of 20-game winning seasons, and I just don't think that Messina's winning percentage was as good. And I'll go back to also, uh, I, I just I think Pettit was a better pitcher. Uh, I know Messina had some great strikeout seasons, um, loved him with the O's, and he continued to be strong with the Yanks. But uh, I, I do not think, and I haven't looked it up, that he won 100 more games than he lost. I don't. Uh, and, and, you know, that... Uh, wasn't uh, didn't have much uh, postseason because he wasn't in the postseason much. But right. I mean, I I know he didn't win 19 games in the postseason. Maybe not because he had the opportunity, but uh, I think Andy Pettit's a better pitcher, and uh, I'll go to my grave saying it. For what it's worth, Mike Messina finished uh, his career record was 270 and 153. Um, for just 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 for what it's worth, that's all. Uh, okay, well, thank you. I, uh, that's that's pretty solid. But at least. Uh, yeah, know, he's in. Way, we don't have to worry about him anymore. He got in. We don't have to debate about him. He's my favorite pitcher of all way, time. Man, that, was an, that was an awesome hike. I mean, I could have. I awesome. probably could have gotten the inflection a little bit better, but it was the emotion <laughs> that I was trying to convey yeah. that I'm sure, because Heist has checked in during these segments over the years, and he has sounded exactly like that. When you, as Perfect. you know, as you know, the man cares a great deal about Mike Messina, so uh, he gets quite animated whenever we would talk. Go ahead, go ahead, Paul. You can jump in. Hey, yeah, Dave. That's uh, um, I noticed ominous by you leaving him off is Scott Rowland. And Scott Rowland, eight-time eight gold glove winner, rookie of the year, seven-time All-Star, World Series champion, a war above 70. I know the hits and home runs numbers aren't where you would expect a Hall of Famer to be, but it seems like people are about 50-50 split on whether Scott Rowland should be in the Hall of Fame. Why did you leave him off your ballot this year? An excellent question, and I literally have him up on my screen here at home because I, I – projected this question he's right on the cusp however he's really he had a great start to his career and then i think tailed off after he was 30 he had uh a, his best season after be, you know becoming 30 was at 31 he had 22 homers 95 and a 296 average but it comes it really tails off after that um i i don't think he closed strong as some of the other guys did i.e david ortiz um, you know, he's probably going to get in and, and might even get my vote in the future, but, uh, I didn't think he was, uh, strong enough to be my seventh guy on the ballot. I, I'm usually, I've never voted all 10 that are, I'm allowed to pick and you bring up a strong argument for him. However, I just, you know, 
you're correct on the 316 homers over a long way to, over a long time and uh uh in the postseason he batted 220 mm-hmm. with five homers and 12 RBIs in 39 games not strong i look at i look at postseason as well uh, you could make a solid argument for Scott Rowland as you did but i'm going to counter with what i said about uh, tailing off uh, toward the latter stage of his career and he did play up until he was 37 and uh, I just didn't think his postseason numbers were solid. It's Dave Ginsburg, longtime AP sports writer here in Baltimore. He's unveiled his Hall of Fame ballot. Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Andy Pettit, Todd Helton, David Ortiz, Billy Wagner. That's who he voted for. Uh, of course, Dave, Scott Rowland known uh, largely for his defense, right? And, it, and it's going to bring me to a comparison that I wanted to make. Uh, there has been a movement related to Omar Vizquel as a Hall of Famer. And, and I want to compare him a little bit to David Ortiz, who you did vote for, right? Where David Ortiz, of course, was, was all offense and no defense. And we all know David Ortiz was a, you know, a tremendous offensive player. And it clearly you have made it uh, abundantly clear that um, you know, postseason matters and David Ortiz was a hell of a postseason hitter. But, but is there an argument for if somebody can go in as an all-offense guy like David Ortiz – can there be an argument for someone for you to vote for someone like an Omar Vizquel and lesser Scott Rowland because he was a better offensive player, obviously, than, than Omar Vizquel as an all-defensive guy? You could make the argument, and I do check gold gloves when I'm, uh, when I'm formulating my ballot. However, under that, I guess, uh, hypothesis, Mark Belanger could have been a Hall of Famer. Mm. And, you know, I don't know, I can't remember seeing a shortstop uh, who had a glove that was better, but man, the guy couldn't hit at all. Right, and uh, you got to. Uh, I think there's a balance there, and you know, Ortiz, correct, but uh, he could really, really hit, and he he pulled out the first baseman's glove every now and then. I'm not even adding that into my you know pick as to why I used him, but uh, you could make an argument for that. But uh, I only wish guys like Omar had put up better numbers to make this decision a little bit easier. I mean, that uh, he's the classic shortstop, the one-dimensional, all-glove, no bat. And, uh, you know, ultimately, um, maybe people will see it more that way, and that all-glove is a good thing. Uh, certainly the Orioles could have used a solid shortstop in the field uh, this year. So, yes, you could make, you could certainly make an argument for it. Um, didn't happen for me this year, but that's not to say... Uh, I won't change my mind and look closer at it in the future. And we should, uh, again, just for the sake of fairness, we should certainly say Omar Vizquel definitely more of an offensive threat than Mark Belanger was. Mark Belanger. <laughs> you were, Glenn. Yeah, well, no, wait a second. I I might have been able to hit 100, maybe. But Mark Belanger was a solid 200 hitter. Let's be fair about that during the course of his career. And Omar Vizquel was a, was a legitimate hitter, right? Like, he just wasn't a, a particularly good hitter. He was a legitimate, you know, 270, 280 type of hitter during the course of his career. Um, you know, it was just never a, a – a significant hitter at any point during his career. I think that's the, the separation there. Uh, Billy Wagner, the last name on your, your ballot. Uh, Dave, what was the thought process for you when it came to Billy Wagner? Well, I've passed over him before, but upon uh, further review, uh, 422 saves, uh, second among lefties, uh, sixth all-time, pretty, pretty solid and he averaged 34 saves over 162 games, which to me is also solid. He wasn't 
he wasn't the greatest uh, closer. I mean, we'll give that to Rivera. But I think he put up enough solid numbers over the course of a lengthy career to warrant uh, a, a spot in the Hall of Fame. I mean, I, there, I think uh, there are about two lefties in the top 15 uh, of, on the saves list, and he's one of them. So uh, I, I think he distinguished himself uh, over the course of his career as a Hall of Fame closer. I said last name, but I, I realized we didn't talk about Todd Helton, um, who you added to your ballot this year. Why? Why are you not? Um, why does the Colorado factor not weigh as much for you as it does for other guys? It does weigh in there, but okay. you can't argue. Okay, you know the fences were a little closer, and the air was a a little thinner. But the man hit three sixteen over his career, and that's he averaged. Uh, 27 homers and 101 RBIs over 162 games, five-time All-Star, three-time Gold Glover. Uh, Yes, I mean, you can't – I just can't punish the guy. That would be like, uh, well, I could have left Ortiz off my ballot because he played in uh, friendly Fenway for so long. Uh, I just think Todd Helton was a good hitter um, anywhere. Uh, Yeah, his numbers were better in Colorado, and everyone's would be. But uh, I think over the – Again, over the course of his career, uh, batting three sixteen is pretty impressive to go along with uh, uh, quite a few home runs. So the guys that are in the final year of the ballot, we know you voted for Bonds, we know you voted for Clemens, and we know you dropped off Sammy Sosa. The name that had previously been on a ballot that did not return for you in the final year was Kurt Schilling. Um, can you give me your thoughts as to why Kurt Schilling did not return to your ballot in the final year of eligibility? Well, after before the voting was even announced last year, Kurt Schilling knew that he wasn't going to make it, so he fired off a, uh, a steamy letter to Cooperstown asking that his name be withdrawn from the ballot. So my thought was, if uh, Kurt Schilling doesn't want to want to be in the Hall of Fame, then I'll gladly comply. There you go. Um, he put up some good numbers, and you know he pointed out, and, and rightfully so, that his his personality has has been. Uh, I, I, some of the things that have been said about him may not may or may not be true, but you know he's come off pretty badly, and he pointed that out. And you know, yes, he's um, he's a guy. Well, I'll just leave it at this, Glenn. He asked that his name be taken off the ballot, sure. so his name was taken off my ballot. There you go, and it'll be for somebody else to think about in future years when he gets to one of these committees, uh, because he's clearly not going to make it again this year. Dave, well, and you know. I don't mean to interrupt, no, but go ahead. the same could be said for Bonds and Clemens. They very well may not make it this year. Yep. Um, and then, then, you know, then it will be up to the Veterans Committee, who, you know, I've been pretty kind in past years. And and if I may just say one more thing, if Art Modell isn't mm. in the Pro Football Hall mm. of Fame, then, mm. you know, anything goes in these Hall of we, Fames. We, we, share, we share frustration about that, uh, Dave Ginsburg. We share that year frustration. After year. Makes makes no bloody sense. Um, hey, but at least they got Paul Tagliabue in. Very deserving. Very deserving they managed to do that. Um, uh, Dave, you mentioned Scott Rowland, somebody that you could consider in the future. Are there other names that, you know, as, as you were doing this this year, you said to yourself, you know, Dan Connolly wrote a – our friend Dan Connolly wrote a great piece today about, you know, how, look, man, sometimes we just change our mind. Like, it's, it's the way it goes, and, and we're human beings. Um, are there other guys that you looked at and said – I'm not there yet, but I could see myself voting for this person in coming years. Glenn, as always, you ask the best questions, and that's a perfect question. And yes, that there are. Uh, for one, A-Rod. Okay. First year on the ballot. Yep. Guy, 
no way is uh, deserves to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. But the numbers he put up uh, were solid, and I and I will have to visit that every year to to see where my mindset is because he missed so much time for an obvious steroid suspension after you weren't even after you weren't allowed to have them. So yeah, that's that's someone that's I'm going to think of every single year as to whether yes or no. I might even look back on Sosa. Well, nope, it's his tenth nice, yeah, year, last year now right. and ever for that yep. guy. Um Tory Hunter, tremendous defensive player, as you previously pointed out. Offensive numbers were better than average. He's someone I might look at in the future. And uh, and I'm I'm on the fence. Manny Ramirez put up some good numbers, but he was a terrible clubhouse guy. I'll see how I feel about him next year. Um, they, good, really, like I said, really good numbers. And at your suggestion, I'm going to look a little closer at Omar Vizquel to see. You know, maybe again, it's um, it's uh, it's tough going year to year. Sometimes you have this. You know, you're adamant. I'm adamant about. Uh, Bonds and Clemens right now. Sure. And ultimately, A-Rod's numbers should get him a spot, but his off-field and uh, antics, wasn't a good clubhouse guy, and, you know, it's all obvious steroid use will all be factored against him. All right, again, Dave Ginsburg's ballot, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Andy Pettit, Todd Helton, David Ortiz, and Billy Wagner. Those are the six votes that Dave Ginsburg used this year. Uh, for the Baseball Hall of Fame. And, again, we will see right now the uh, the guys, the BBHOF tracker, they've got David Ortiz sitting at 83.4%, Roger Clemens at 77.7%, and Barry Bonds at 79 But those numbers tend to go down as we get closer to the actual announcement of this year's Hall of Fame class. Dave Ginsburg, I always appreciate you doing this, my friend. Um, you know, I, we don't always agree, but that's okay. That's the point of all of this. We can have a civilized like adults. We can have civilized conversation. Um, um, the year that we agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for the for the record, I'm looking at your list, like the guys that you voted for, Pettit's the only one I don't know, right? Like that's the only one that I would say I don't I don't know if I would vote for Andy Pettit. But all the other ones. They might not be the guys that I would vote for, but I think I have no problem whatsoever with them being guys. We, we don't even really disagree all that strongly this year, to be honest with you, Dave Ginsburg. This no, is a, we don't. And, th- and you know what? Someone on Twitter or many people on oh, Twitter will, will come in 100%. and bash me. 100%. You know that's coming. You know, <laughs> I, I credit you for still doing this, despite the fact that inevitably every year – um, we, some somebody somebody's fan base just gets really worked up and just comes after you with their pitchforks. They are hellfire uh, and brimstone. Scott Rowland uh, fan club is yep. going to start bashing. They're but, all, they'll be but all bring over it here. on, folks. <laughs> Dave, uh, appreciate you, my friend. Uh, continue to enjoy your semi-retirement and 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 family life, which is awesome to see too. Um, appreciate you doing it. Let's talk again real soon. All right. It's, Hope to run into you sometime real soon, Glenn. Take care, and I appreciate this, too. Thank you, my friend. Dave Ginsburg, okay. uh, longtime AP Baltimore sports writer and a Hall of Fame voter, of course, hopping on with us here on GCR, as he does every year to unveil his Hall of Fame ballot. Bonds, Clemens, Pettit, Helton, Ortiz, and Wagner. Um, you know, my, my Ortiz point that I try to make about these other guys, you point out Scott Rowland, I very much... Omar Vizquel and Torrey Hunter, I think, is a fair one to consider the same way, is if 
And I get it. David Ortiz is overwhelming offensively, but Omar Vizquel was overwhelming defensively. Mm. Scott Rowland was overwhelming defensively. I mean, Ozzie Smith is in the Hall of Fame because of his defense. 100%. Now, you know, he also, of course, had the po- you know the World Series home run. Like, you know, there, there are some moments. Uh, God, who did, we, who did we talk to recently? Raymond Chester was talking recently about moments being a thing mm-hmm. that helps when it comes to the Hall of Fame. That home run helped Ozzie Smith get into the Hall of Fame. Right. Let's be honest about that. Um, when a guy has moments, that goes a long way. And, like, you can remember Scott Rowland making amazing plays, but you don't remember him making the type of play that individually won a World Series or something like that, or individually, like, has just lived eternally. It's easier to remember that with home runs than it is to remember that with defensive plays. Like, you just don't... You don't remember... Think about how many defensive plays you really remember that were the difference in a team that was going for a, a championship, whether it was in a clinching game or even just a memorable defensive play that you don't remember very many of them. Remember, if you, know, you certainly remember, you know, like Willie Mays catch, right? right. Like it's, it's not as if you don't remember any, but it, they're very rare that you remember things like that. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's, that's the, the more difficult thing is having that moment for a player that was more, you know, a predominant defensive player. Couple, a couple of points I want to make, and he said that he welcomed it, so I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm going to make the points. Yep. Um, he said that he picked Andy Pettit and not Mike Mussina because Pettit's numbers were better in different categories. Uh, I'm a Mussina apologist. He's my hmm. favorite, he's my favorite pitcher of all time. More wins, higher winning percentage, and lower ERA in the same number of seasons the, the, as Pettit on a worse team. Look, again, it's not it's, it's apples to oranges because Messina's no longer on the ballot, right? right like, he right. can't vote for Messina any and, longer. But so, he's, and he's already in, but right. he, 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 didn't, he didn't vote for him. 100%. <coughs> when he was on the ballot, uh, Dave did not vote for Mike Messina. Now, that's I, – I didn't – and we, we talked about it ad nauseum at that mm. point and, like, the numbers and all those things. But it does – it's irrelevant at this point. Mike Messina's a Hall of Famer, Fair so, the, you know, the conversation's moot. The Pettit thing, to me, if there is an argument for Pettit as a Hall of Famer, it's entirely based around – him being a postseason pitcher, yeah, right? Five, five like, world championships. That's that's yeah. entirely what that argument is based around, and I think there's room to have various opinions about that particular argument. But that is the argument. The Andy Pettit argument is he was a postseason pitcher, yeah. right? Um, I, I don't think I would vote for Andy Pettit, but I'm not trying to deny the fact that Andy Pettit was a big game pitcher for a long time mm-hmm. in a very difficult place to be a big game pitcher. I do think that it's more difficult to be a big game pitcher in New York than it is to be a big game pitcher. And now, I guess somebody would say the flip side to that is you typically have a pretty good team behind you. Yeah. I don't know, man. You know, I'd have to think about that more. Um, he didn't have a great defensive shortstop behind him. I know that much. <laughs> a little dig. He, he didn't. Um, he didn't have. He didn't have one. He had a, a very average defensive shortstop behind him. My other point, and this isn't to say that this player uh, doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, because I think Billy Wagner does deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Um, why is John Franco not? Yeah, I've never really do- dove into John Franco's numbers. I know I don't really know. Billy I mean, Wagner never led the league in saves. John right. Franco did it three times. Well, but somebody, but somebody would say Billy Wagner was also largely pitching in an era where the two greatest closers of all time were pitching. Right, mm-hmm. like that. You know, he was he was pitching it. He was doing it at the exact same time as the standard had been raised. Beyond anything we'd ever seen. Well, I mean, John Franco was pitching at the same time as Lee Smith, and at points, uh, uh, Trevor well, it took Hoffman Lee Smith, and Mariano Rivera. It took Rivera. Lee Smith getting on one of these uh, Franco committees. Franco has more saves than Smith. I know, but it took Lee Smith going to a committee in order to get into the yeah. Hall of Fame. He didn't get in on the ballot. Right, right, um, right. He had to go to one of the, I don't remember which committee it was, he had to go to one of the committees in order for him to get into the Hall of Fame. Um, I'm trying to think of the guys, the, the closers that got in on the ballot. Eckersley got in on the ballot, but he wasn't a closer for his entire career. He became a closer later in his career. He was a hell of a pitcher before that. 
uh, Suter, right? Um, Mariano, hundred well, percent. I mean, of that's you know, of yeah, right. Um, uh, Gossage, so technically Smoltz. Yeah, but Smoltz was a very. Yeah. I mean, he didn't get into the Hall of Fame because of being a closer. He got into the Hall of Fame, and then he just happened to be a closer at the end of his mm-hmm. career. Um, you know, it's interesting. I haven't spent a lot of time on Wagner because I just think there are too many other candidates that I would be right. voting for. And I've always said I'm a big tent guy in terms of voting. I am I am not a BWBWA member. Um, I just couldn't. I'm a PFW. I'm a Pro Football Writers Association member, which is sort of ironic because I don't remember the last time I covered a football game. Mm-hmm. But I do still write about football. And in a normal world, I would still be going over and, and being at the facility all the time. And I typically join these organizations more just to support their existence than because of anything I'm getting out of it. Um, it's just I want for the people that are I've been on these beats before and so I want these organizations to exist Um, if I were to be a voter I would be likely someone that would typically be using all 10 votes that would probably because I am more of a big tent guy when it comes to the Hall of Fame I am more a guy if if it's close I think you're in like Gary Sheffield's a guy that like I just don't understand I don't get it why is Gary Sheffield not a Hall of Famer I would probably vote for Gary Sheffield every yeah. year. But, uh, people, the, the argument that I think it's steroids. I, I, I think that people. Yeah, but once like you're willing to vote for guys that we know use steroids, I, like if you're willing to vote for Bonds, then what's your argument against Sheffield? And if what you're saying right. is you have to be that much better, like the standard has to be you have to be Barry Bonds in order for me to vote for you, like okay, you know, like I'll listen to that. When, when I look at, at at Gary Sheffield, I I think it's the same thing as Scott Rowland because I w- I didn't put Scott Rowland. Zach and I did a did a our yeah. own Hall of Fame ballots a few weeks back and uh, on the battle round, and I didn't put Scott Rowland on my ballot either. Um, and it was because I think that he and Gary Sheffield have, are unfortunately part of the same thing where they got drowned out by all the other great yeah, players. Yeah, those numbers were, were just them. so badass insane that were being put up at that point. Yeah. That you know, you, the, sort of you never that. looked at me like and that's I, the best and guy was, on the and, I, and I was a McGriff guy too. Like I'm just, I, I don't get it. He was a hell of a player on a lot of really good teams. If he like, had what? seven more home runs, he'd yeah, be right, right, because he would hit. Uh, was it seven or was it five? I thought he was four ninety five. Was four ninety three? Yeah. All right. Uh, appreciate Dave Ginsburg doing that. Hour number one of today's show is in the books. It was also brought to you today by CCBC. I'm going to use those words: tuition free. If you need to hone your computer skills to boost your career. Or maybe you want an IT certification, CCBC, Continuing Education, has the courses and programs. You can call them. We don't have to take a break. Has the courses and programs you need for a career in the computer field, and it's all tuition-free. From the basics to specialized training, we have the classes you need from hardware to programming to cybersecurity and so much more. It's your choice. It's your career. Call 443-840-4700 or visit ccbcmd.edu slash computer training. All right. Uh, still to come, we're going to catch up with Kenji Bahar, Calvert Hall alum who spent his rookie season with the Baltimore Ravens, see what it was like to be a part of the hometown team. Before we do that, our weekly conversation, normally do it around 1040, but um, I pre- or 1045, I appreciate Patrick moving around so we can have some more time to talk about the, the ballot with Dave Ginsburg. He is our friend Patrick Stevens at Discourse D1 Escourse on Twitter, the Washington Post as well, and he's back with us now here on GCR. Patrick, how are you, sir? I'm well, Glenn. How are you doing? I'm well. You want to react at all to Dave Ginsburg's Hall of Fame ballots? Well, I mean, I'm not going to bring the pitchforks from Jasper, Indiana, the proud hometown of Scott Rowland. Like <laughs> I, I think I th- we will see Scott Rowland. Yeah, get into and the I think Scott Rowland's a Hall of Famer. I do, right? Like it's and and this is me. I'm not. A, I'm not. I haven't done a deep dive. I haven't you know driven the analytics. 
just my sort of gut instinct is Scott Rowland was really, really good. Like, he was a great defensive player and a really good hitter, and that to me makes you a Hall of Famer. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, realistically, you know, like, I mean, I, I like the fact that, that Billy Wagner's picking up some steam as well. You know, I feel like there's a couple of these guys that, you know, I, I'm a big believer that as long as you can keep a handful of these guys on the ballot, maybe there's a chance that they can pick up some steam as well. And so a guy like a Bobby Abreu, for example, or, you know, he mentioned Tory Dick Gins mentioned Tory Hunter, or a guy like maybe even a Joe Nathan, who compares reasonably favorably to Billy Wagner. I mean, those are, those are guys I'm cu- kind of curious to see how they do uh, in terms of being able to stay on the ballot and what have you. Yeah, because Abreu's pretty much already all but assured of staying on. Unfortunately, yeah, at the moment, it does not look good. Tory Hunter does not look good at all for him staying on the ballot. He is literally at 1.9% at the moment of ballots, which is crazy to me. Like, as I'm, I, I'm with you, I think Tory Hunter is a hell of a player. Ryan Howard's another one that's it's, it's interesting to me. He's got just no conversation at all. Nobody on the planet thinks that Ryan Howard is. Well, part, part of the problem is just how Ryan bad Howard. it got after the contract. I get, you know. Well, yeah, and I mean, let's face it, but it, it was you can basically delineate like the Philadelphia Phillies uh, basically from where he tore was well, Achilles' tear, right? Like yeah. on the last play in the postseason, like yeah. from that point onward, that that franchise has basically been cursed and has not been back in the postseason. So. You know, the the end was just. I mean, in some ways, he was he was Philadelphia's Chris Davis, except he was yeah, he was better, better. He right? Was a, he and was a better player and when he was. Healthy. That's the point. Like, I it, I get how bad it got, but man, when he was good, he was so good. <laughs> man, he was really really good. But I get. I'm not saying Ryan Howard's a Hall of Famer. I'm just mm. I'm surprised that they're like Philly voters alone don't have him at a higher number than he is. And, I'm heartened to see you know, on the same track. I'm heartened to see Jimmy Rollins. At eleven yeah, and a half sure. percent at this point, sure. you know, that that's the sort of guy that you know he could start there, but by year eight or year nine, maybe he's in the fifties or sixties, and people appreciate his career a little bit more. So, I, you know, I think of that of that trio: Howard, Rollins, Chase Utley. You know, I, I think Rollins probably had the most Hall-like career of the bunch, although I'm sure some Chase Utley fans would, would, would care to disagree with that. I truly appreciate the work that Ryan and the crew at BBHOF Tracker do in order to, uh, to tally all that. And they, I, don't th- I don't think it's profitable for them. I think they just do it for fun, and I greatly appreciate that. Um, and and we've, uh, we've gotten to know them a little bit over the years. All right, uh, Patrick Stevens, saw you last night at Loyola, and I think the Patriot League is probably where we should start at this point because, you know, Loyola has scratched their way. It wasn't pretty last night, but they've scratched their way to a 3-1 and start, and, you know, Navy looks obviously great here to start the season. Yeah, let's start with Loyola because, you know, first off, let's give Loyola credit for going up to Boston U on Friday and winning right. that game. They've been 0-9 up in Case Gym since both of those schools joined the Patriot League. So a real uh, a real hex of sorts on the Greyhounds. But to go up and play that well up there, a really encouraging sign for them. At the same time, you know, you look at the two home games that they've played in league play against Holy Cross, who is no good at all, and, and Bucknell, who's sort of a deceptive 0-4. I don't think Bucknell has the high-end talent that they've had in the past. Sure. They've got good pieces, and Andrew Funk had 21 points last night. Uh, and they've had a tough go of it early on. They had a rough start to league play. They're 0-4, but they've, they've played Army. They've played Loyola. They've played BU. Uh, so it's been, it's been a bit of a challenge for them. But Loyola kept pushing it out to about 10, 12, got it out there two or three times, and just couldn't finish off Bucknell. And it felt like the sort of, time, the sort of game where they just ran out, Loyola ran out of time to lose it. You know, they didn't, they didn't play particularly great in the final 12 to 15 minutes or so. But 
got the job done. Cam Spencer with the two free throws at the end uh, got to 26 points. And so they're 3-1 and, 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 and have Lafayette come into town on Thursday, and they find themselves in a, in a really good spot for them. Uh, but obviously they're not in first place because Navy's 4-0, having handled Lafayette by 14 on the road. They have a victory over BU already. That one came at home. Uh, and so you, know, you look at the mids, and they still aren't completely healthy. Like, Greg Summers hasn't played the last few games. They get Patrick Dorsey back. He's a guy that helps off the bench. But they don't have Greg Summers back. And so, you know, the thought that Ed DeCellis has had all season to this point is if they ever get healthy, they're really going to be pretty good. And at this point, 10-4 and overall, 4-0 in the Patriot League. The Mids look like the favorites to repeat at least as regular season champions. Sure. And you've got to figure that after the disappointment last year of, of losing in the quarterfinals, uh, that that's going to be a team that is really fired up once the conference tournament arrives. So, you know, I've seen Navy a handful of times now. I saw them uh, in that Boston University game where where they played great in in the last 30 minutes or so. Saw them against Towson when they were coming out of exams and did not play great. Saw them smother Mount St. Mary's. Saw them against Virginia Tech in the Vets Classic. And saw them at George Mason where they, they acquitted themselves pretty well. I like what I see there, and I think that team, John Carter Jr., is having the sort of senior year that they need him to have, and they get contributions up and down seemingly every game. It's not necessarily the same three or four guys that are having good games. Carter usually has a good game. Summers, when he's healthy, usually has a good game. But sometimes it's Richard Njoku. Sometimes it's Daniel Deaver. You know, I think uh, you know Tyler Nelson has played really well for them uh, of late, uh, and, and he's a guy I think that, that you could make a case as a is, really their number three option at this stage and, and is having a really good season. So a lot to like about the mids and, and certainly looking forward to, to when those two teams uh, meet up because they've got a couple meetings still on the horizon. The league schedule is a, is a little skewed this year. They're not, it's not just you play the nine teams once and then play them again. Uh, Loyola and Navy play twice in February, February 5th and then February 23rd, first hmm. game at Reitz Arena, the second one in Annapolis. Uh, Towson gets back to action with a national TV game early evening tonight, 5 o'clock, as they host Hofstra. I, I know they got a win on Sunday. I admit to you, Patrick, I didn't get to watch any of it because I was you know, football-driven on Sunday. Um, it, it didn't appear as though it was particularly pretty over a Northeastern team that I don't know if they're all that good. Um, but it, I guess it's a win's a win, and a, and a CAA where you just need to stockpile them. What do you make of what you saw from Towson bouncing back on Sunday? Well, I, I would argue that Northeastern probably got bit a little bit by having been off for two and a half weeks before they opened with Elon and William and Mary. Okay, uh, that's still a pretty good team, and okay. they're extremely well coached. So I, I think that that is a, a victory that you just you accept that it's going to be a bit of a slog against Northeastern. And so if you're if you're Towson, you bounce back, you get that one. Now you have Hofstra, uh, another team that's very much in the mix, and the and the pride has played well. They caught James Madison at the right time on Sunday. Madison was coming off its own pause. Uh, and this is a Hofstra team that's gone to Arkansas and won. It went to Houston and almost won. It went to Maryland and almost won. Yep. Um, and so you look at all those, and they beat a good Princeton team uh, earlier in the season. They beat the same Bucknell team that we saw last night by 19 points. Uh, so this is a really interesting matchup uh, for Towson. Uh, Aaron Estrada is playing great uh, for the pride, a guy that had begun his career. It's a weird career. St. Peter's to Oregon to Hofstra. Ah, that's uh, a, it's, but, a, it's a story as old as time. 
Yeah, absolutely. Peacock, right. duck, and then graduate to a lion, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they, uh, he is, he's a three-time CAA Player of the Week, uh, really playing well. They still have Jalen Ray, who is uh, you know one of the top returning players in the league. You know, Hofstra, even with the coaching change, the identity is pretty much the same. You know, they're really good on offense. They're sort of questionable on defense. Uh, and so uh, I think uh, I think for, for Towson, this is going to be a good test for their defense tonight, uh, this afternoon slash tonight. Love that 5 o'clock tip time. Uh, yeah, great news for you. No question about that. Um, as far as the rest of the local front is concerned, Patrick Stevens with us here on GCR. Uh, I know UMBC dropped their conference opener. Uh, the the MEAC teams both got to at least play a game and 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 get wins. So you know that, that that's something at this point. You sort of take what you can get, I guess. Yes, I think we'll mention UMBC first. You know they had a 23 day break and really had to be pretty disappointed, even with all the stuff that they dealt with. I mean they were still without Darnell Rogers. He was still in Carnell or COVID protocols, uh, but. In that 23-day stretch, there was one point where they were down to three players. They had 15 consecutive days off at one point in there. It's clearly not a team that's in, in game shape at this point. And that's right. no knock on anybody. It's just you're not going to be able to pull that off when you have that big of a break in the middle of the season. At the same time, you know they were up nine points with about five to play. They were up five with about a minute and a half to play. That's a game they let get away. The defense on the last play in particular was, was poor. Uh, and I think for the Retrievers, it's going to be a matter of just finding their way back into game shape, and they're probably going to have to do it without as much practice time as they'd like. So they go to NJIT on Wednesday, uh, and that's a that's a game a team that's off to a three and zero start in America East play. So it would be a good victory for them uh, before Vermont comes to town for a big one on Saturday. You know, you mentioned the two MEAC schools, Coppin and Morgan. Morgan needed overtime to win at South Carolina State. Coppin handled it in regulation. Same team at South Carolina State. Those were the only games in the MEAC that got played this week because of COVID pauses. So, at the very least, both of those teams have their longest trip of, of the conference season out of the way now, which is good. Uh, but good good start for them, and they obviously meet on Saturday at Hill Fieldhouse uh, for the first of the two battles of Baltimore for this season. So, potentially three. You know, who knows? Maybe they play in the MEAC tournament. Make, a, well. lot, make a lot of sense. Uh, so, so that's all there, and and let's give a shout out to Mount St. Mary's for getting back, uh, back on the floor as well. They were able to get a split from the Brooklyn schools, lost to LIU, beat St. Francis Brooklyn, uh, and those were their first games since December 18th. Uh, unfortunately, the NEC kept the forfeit policy, so when Mount couldn't play its first two games, those two games are lost to them and count as losses in the conference standing. So it's one and insane. one in the NEC in reality, one and three on paper. Uh, and they have a trip up to New England to face Bryant and Merrimack, uh, who should be two pretty solid teams in that conference. They're both off to good starts as well. So a big weekend uh, for Dan Engelstadt's team coming up this Saturday against Bryant and Monday against Merrimack. i got to hope like hell that they fix that, man. That is just, it does not. Well, from from what I'm hearing, that that is it's that not, is not going to get fixed. There's actually, so from dumb. what I've been told, multiple votes uh, in that league. And they even had a second vote in late December, and they just affirmed the policy. And maybe some of the argument for that is that you're in a league where where you're playing Thursday, Saturday, and it's hard to get everything. Yeah, the reality can. is is that eight of those teams are, you know, there's there's so many, I shouldn't say eight, but you've got two, two teams in Brooklyn. You've got uh, Fairleigh Dickinson. You've got Wagner on Staten Island. Uh, Fairleigh Dickinson's in North Jersey. You've got Sacred Heart. Uh, in, in central Connecticut, not too far away. It should be possible 
to be able to make up games on like a Monday. And yeah, if you, and if you have to play them somewhere else, right? Like if you have to forfeit yeah, and, a home. And that was and that was the thing. Right. You know, I was thinking where, for example, Mount St. Mary's lost games against Fairleigh Dickinson and Wagner. Well, you know what? Yeah. You know, they go up and play Fairleigh Dickinson on a Thursday. There's no reason why they couldn't just play two games at Fairleigh Dickinson Wednesday, Thursday. It wouldn't be fun no. to have to go play sa- play on Saturday. But it's better than a forfeit. I mean, better than a forfeit. Jeez, who do we see last week? Who was it that played at the 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 community college in San Francisco at Loyola? Yeah, Loyola, Chicago, and San Francisco. Right, they, in Salt Lake City. They get together at a community college on a what it was a Thursday afternoon, just mm-hmm. just just to play a basketball. That's what we got to do. Like it's insane. All right, I don't I don't want to flip out too. I, I sound like a hot take guy that doesn't really have a point, but you know, it just seems like it shouldn't be all that difficult to figure out a way to play these games. Um, Patrick, uh, obviously we have to talk about Maryland. Uh, it sort of is, it sort of is what it is. Um, yeah, credit them for the, for the fight they showed obviously against Wisconsin getting back into that one. But I, I just don't know at this point how much it really matters. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, first off, well, let's go ahead and, and acknowledge a couple things here. Like I think Akeem Hart has been playing really well sure. over the sure. month or so. Yep. And he, and he got off to a slow start, but he's played that certainly, excellent defense and has been a more consistent offensive contributor. You know, you look at what Johnny Davis did. It looked like Johnny Davis was just going to do whatever he wanted uh, for the first five minutes of that game. He had seven points early on. I think he had 12 after the first five to eight minutes or so. So Hakeem Hart playing well. Eric Ayala had a great second half. But at the end of the day, you know, you can't spot a team. It's going to take a lot of energy if you spot a team 21 points to get back into that game. And credit to Maryland for doing it. Uh, but that said, they didn't have any answers in the post for Tyler Wall, uh, and so that was pretty much that. They just couldn't quite get the job done. And now Maryland's 0-4 in the Big Ten. It's only the eighth time in school history that Maryland has been 0-4 in conference play. Four of those seasons, by the way. Um, Frank Fellows last season, coach okay. before Lefty Drizel. Lefty Drizel's last okay. season, Bob Wade's last season, and now Mark Turgeon's last <laughs> season. <laughs> so... Uh, you know, the other thing there, this first time that they're 0-4 in league play since 1992-93, which was the bridge year, that was the year after Walt Williams graduated, it was the year before Keith Booth and Joe Smith showed up, and so that was a whole lot of young guys uh, kind of taking it on the chin and getting a lot of experience, guys like Dwayne Simpkins, X-Ray Hip, Mario Lucas, Johnny Rhodes, uh, that was their freshman year, so uh, that's kind of where Maryland is at right now, sort of uh, you know, trying to 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 make something out, out of a situation that does not look particularly encouraging. Pa- Patrick, I think the, you look at the difficult part for this one is it just feels so much le- more like fruitless, right? Like like this yeah, is I not mean, this is not I mean, going to be a year that's going to be about development for players for the next coach. No, I mean <laughs> you have a coaching change. Yes. you have a couple. You know, so you have some grad transfers that are playing. So you yeah. know, Fats Russell and Xavier Green aren't going to be back. Right, right. Uh, it, it it seems likely at this point. Given how this season is sort of devolved for him, that this this is not this is probably not a long term home for Caduce Wahab, right. right? Like at at this point, it does not look encouraging. Eric Ayala is a senior, so you're going to see a we're, even without the coaching change, you were probably going to see a, a dramatically transformed roster next season. You definitely will now, uh, you know. And I think if you're a Maryland fan, you hope that you at least have some pieces. Julian Reese being the one that sure. stands out the most, yes. but also Dante Scott team hard, uh, and, and potentially Ian Martinez too, uh, that you're going to be able to build around. But you know, th- this, this is not, this is not headed for an NCAA tournament appearance and it's probably not headed for an NIT appearance. 
the the nice thing you can say for Maryland is that between the Illinois loss last week and the Wisconsin loss on Sunday is they they got themselves in a hole and they fought back. Yep, they're so competitive. At least they're, at least they're playing hard, yep. right? Yep. Like I mean, I've I've seen some teams in the last week that aren't playing hard. Sure. Uh, so that's that's an encouraging sign. But in terms of where the season's going, I mean, this is this is the next important thing that really happens for Maryland is is going to be whoever gets named the next head coach. Uh, nationally, I assume Miami's kind of the biggest story at the moment, right? It's... Miami's an interesting story. You know, I I, I think when you look at them, uh, they it was it was a team that early on you're thinking, man, it's another it's going to be another rough season in Coral Gables. Uh, and the pieces didn't necessarily look like they were going to fit together well, but yeah, that backcourt, Isaiah Wong, Cameron McGussie, and Charlie Moore, who was fabulous on Saturday night at Duke, you know, they've helped rip off a nine-game winning streak. They beat Duke on the road, which is basically the best win you can possibly get in that league this season. And you have Miami at 5-0 and in the ACC for the first time uh, since 2013, only the second time ever. Uh, and, and suddenly they look like a team plenty capable of contending for an NCAA tournament berth. Now they get Florida State and North Carolina, Florida State, North Carolina, Florida State at Virginia Tech in their next four games. So it's not like things are going to get any easier for them. But uh, they are they are certainly the, the the talk of the ACC at this point, and rightfully so uh, for having handled their business the way they have. They they are they are a team that plays great offense and virtually no defense. So they're certainly fun to watch as well. They scored a ton, and they don't turn the ball over. Uh, but defensively, they are extremely vulnerable. So if you want to see a team that's almost guaranteed to play games in the 80s uh, more often than not, that's a team to check out. And they and they were down like three in the final minute in that game against Duke, too, weren't they? They were like they were trailing late. It looked like Duke got iced it away, and then they ended up coming back and winning the game. So yeah. So uh, you know, you look at you look at what they've managed to do. That's a that's an impressive in season turnaround for yeah, them, given that no given that early on in the year you're looking at a team that had lost, you know, they, they lost to Dayton, they lost to Central Florida, they were four and three coming out of that that's coming wild. out of that that's tournament uh, down in Orlando, uh, and that was a four and three that included a two point victory over Florida Atlantic. Uh, that, that you're sitting there going, well, this doesn't look so good, but they had they have done an admirable job. Uh, of making the most of their situation. At the same time, it should be noted, this is one of those teams, it's kind of like Wisconsin, is not blowing people out at all. You look at their, you look at what they've been able to do uh, with their victories. I'm just counting it up now. They have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine victories by single digits. So let's not confuse Shoot. them with a juggernaut, Shoot. but they've done their job so far. All right, let's play our game. Can Patrick Stevens name the MLB teams this particular player has played for? And we've, as I've, I've joked, we've reached the point where the answer is probably no. But we're going to do the game anyway, and it's just going to depend on how cruel I'll, I'll continue to be to Patrick with some of these names that I give him. Uh, this man's name came up last week when we were talking, so I, I saved it for this week. Um, he led the league in stolen bases three times. He was a one-time All-Star and his short stints got really silly as he built his way to seven teams for Tony Womack. <laughs> well, gosh, Tony Womack. Let's let's get the two teams yes. out of the way that we know, right? Yep. Like Arizona and Pittsburgh. He just knocked out teams. ten years for Tony Womack, right there. And that, and now it's a it's really bleak. oh, the, Patrick. There is a twenty-one game stop, a nine game stop, and a forty game stop all mixed in here. I mean, it's. I, this is purely cruel for me to put Tony Womack's name on this list. It, it probably is. So, am I vaguely 
I'll start with one that's a little out of the blue. Do I vaguely remember him as a national at the end? You don't actually remember him as a national. Okay, I, yeah. I, I Unless for some okay. reason he's a guy that like signed with the Nationals and never played. Maybe he did. Yeah, Maybe the way that, I guess some people will say that they remember Felix Hernandez as an Oriole at some point. Yeah. Right? Um, all right. This is this is tough. Yeah. Tony Womack was a Rocky. I he think, was a Rocky right? for 21 games. How you remember okay. that? I have no bloody clue. Okay. Well, I'm glad that I got one of those out of the Yeah. Way. Let's go ahead. And, and say it because we got to say it. Was he a Dodger? He was not a Dodger, but I, it, I, you know, I'll say nothing else. Was he an Angel then? No, that, and that's why I, I'm really mad that I did. I'm sorry. I, I, I screwed you up there. San Francisco. No. All right. Yeah, this was what it was. Um, I, I was trying to get you to think that the other, the Yankees are the other big one, right? Like okay. that was more when you say not a Dodger, like that's the other team that everybody goes to. Uh, he did spend a legitimate year in St. Louis, like a, a, a legit season where he hit 307 and, and was still a player at that point. Um, and then he split between two years, 40 games in Chicago with the Cubs, and a nine-game stop as a Cincinnati Red at the okay. uh, near the end of his career. Um, so with that in mind, let's do a Hall of Famer and uh, someone who certainly predates um, – you know, 1980 for the bulk of their career, but, you know, one team for the most part and the other teams were after 1980. Four teams for Hall of Famer, Phil Necro. Phil Necro was an Atlanta Brave. And 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 briefly at the beginning of his career, actually. And, bri- Mil- and for one game at the end of his career. And, well, and I also, he was also a Milwaukee Brave was the point that I was making at yeah. the beginning of his career. Um, the New York Yankees. Of course. He was a Cleveland Indian. He most certainly was. And who can forget his stint with the Toronto Blue Nailed Jays? it. Nailed it. How many games do you think Phil Necro pitched for the Toronto Blue Jays? Like three. Three is the number. Damn, Patrick Stevens. Damn. Three games the Toronto Blue Jays in 1987. Uh, I'm assuming Towson the Knights. Towson the Knights. Well, that, that certainly is the, the game of the night in the area when you kind of look at the overall schedule tonight. Uh, you got a handful of other teams. GW's on the road at VCU. G- GW really struggled coming out of its break, uh, out of its pause. Uh, so that's that's that would have been the other option, but it's not a. I don't think it's going to be a very good trip to Richmond for the Colonials. Okay. All right. Anything else this week that stands out? Uh, nothing tomorrow. I'm obviously Maryland on TV at Northwestern tomorrow. Uh, on Thursday, you've got Loyola and Navy both at home. Loyola against Lafayette, Navy against Colgate, Georgetown home that night against Butler. Uh, and then this weekend, we mentioned Vermont UMBC a little earlier. We mentioned Cop and Morgan a little bit earlier. Yep. Also, Rutgers at Maryland uh, at two o'clock on Saturday. Uh, and then uh, that that pretty much that pretty much does it. Uh, for what's coming up this week. All right, sir. Appreciate you as always. And we're going to start making plans for a big college lacrosse preview show as well. Patrick Stevens at Discourse, D1S Course in the Washington Post. We'll talk to you next Tuesday. Thank you, sir. Awesome, Glenn. Take care. Patrick Stevens joining us. He does every week here on GCR. That's the tough part about Maryland. It's like one thing that they're bad. It's just another thing that it's so fruitless. It's just so there's nothing there. The, the, the coach is already gone, so we can't even scream about firing the coach, right? Like, right. if they were bad and, like, you could scream about firing the coach, there would be something to talk about. Do you think the coach be, is already gone? They'd be as bad if Turgeon were still here? Now, this people have been trying. Like, that. It's things are so uninteresting that we're trying to do that. Like, there, you're, there are right. people that are like, I think they're playing harder under Danny Manning. And, and like, it's just we're, we're grasping at straws. There's yeah. just nothing. And, and to Patrick's point, these players are not – it's not even like you're watching a player that might be able to help. The only one that you really think could be a piece is Juju Reese, and 
Like, who knows if he's going to want to stick around through a coaching change? Mm-hmm. Like, he, he obviously there's something else there because he's from Baltimore and his sister's at Maryland. So you would think that, like, it might be more about the school and the location than it was about the coach. But he did, you know, commit to one coach. So who knows if he's going to choose to stick around or not. But he's really the only piece that you're like, boy, it'd be really nice to have him around moving forward. And I have no idea if he's going to be here or not. So it's just, it's just very, very fruitless watching Maryland basketball at the moment. Today's show brought to you by your local Toyota dealer and by a Toyota.com. Whether your focus is luxury and comfort, convenience and technologically advanced connectivity, or sporty performance and aggressive styling, we've got the perfect Highlander for you. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Highlanders from your local Toyota dealer today. When we come back in, we're going to chat with Kenji Bahar, who spent the season with the Ravens and is a Baltimore kid from Calvert Hall, and I hope grew up rooting for the Ravens. I don't know that. We're going to find out. It'll change how nice the story is, clearly. We'll do it next. It's Glenn Clark Radio. Sports fans, the wait is over. The all-new FanDuel Sportsbook is now open at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover, Maryland. This is your chance to win big right in your own backyard. Bet on every sport with self-service kiosks and watch all of the action from the best seat in the house. Make every moment more at the all-new FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Please play responsibly. Gambling problem? Please call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit mdgambling.com. Help.org. That first sip. That first bite. Mm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Duffy's Garage is a family-owned and operated car care facility in beautiful Baldwin, Maryland. An authorized Maryland inspection station and Napa Pro Care Center with ASE certified techs. Tell them that Glenn Clark sent you and receive 10% off your service with a max discount of $150. You gotta trust where you take your car, so take it to where I take mine. Duffy's Garage in Baldwin. Duffy'sGarageMD.com the latest issue of Press Box is available now, and it's our very special annual Best of Issue on the cover. We celebrate Justin Tucker as our Mo Gabba Sports Person of the Year, honoring his historic on-field achievements, but also the unprecedented relationship he shared with Baltimore. Inside, we recognize the top people, performances, and moments of 2021, including Cedric Mullins' incredible season and the dominance of local Paralympic athletes. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. The biggest pro wrestling stars today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out. Matt and Nick Jackson, the Young Bucks. Thanks for having us, man. Appreciate it. The great Kurt Angle. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. And Matt Riddle. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. The champ, Drew McIntyre. Oh, thank you for having me. The great Ron Simmons. Damn. Keith Lee. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Bill Goldberg. My pleasure. Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. Mick Foley is with us. This is the greatest name for a wrestling show I've ever heard. MJF. I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm freaking miserable. Let's have you 
Chris Jericho. Le Champion. AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Stay tuned. Your chance to win a million dollars is coming up. Probably not from us. You're listening to Glenn Clark Radio. All right, back in here on GCR as we continue along on a Tuesday edition of the program. Today's show also brought to you by Glory Days Grill. You guys know how much I love Glory Days Grill. The smoky thigh wings are everything. They give me life. And on the seasonal menu right now with the Comfort Food Classics, they've thrown in this Alabama barbecue sauce. It is outstanding. They also have the short rib grilled cheese sandwich, as well as the house-made meatloaf, the grilled meatloaf sandwich. It's all available at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill, glorydaysgrill.com, to get your order and take it home with you. Cool story this season, and somebody we didn't get the opportunity to chat with, just the, the strange nature of how the year played out, not able to be in the building, just kind of what it is. But a Baltimore kid who began his NFL career with the Baltimore Ravens and, of course, was dressed and was the backup quarterback for the game against Cincinnati. Joining us now, the pride of Calvert Hall, it's a pleasure to welcome Kenji Bahar to GCR for the first time. Kenji, it's Glenn and Kyle. It's great to chat with you, man. Thank you so much. for It's Glenn and Paul. I'm sorry. I, thank you. It's great to chat with you. Thank you for taking the time for us. I appreciate you having me, man. Hey, man. It's great to chat with you. Can you take me through like what this year has been like for you as a as a Baltimore kid, being home, being with the hometown team, and I know there have been ups and downs, and like, am I on the roster this week? Am I not on the roster this week? I'm sure that's frustrating, but but kind of living what I'm sure has been a dream of yours to be an NFL player. Oh, yeah, man, definitely, man. Just to get the opportunity to go out there for my home team, you know, uh, play against Cincinnati, you know, it's always been a dream come true, you know what I'm saying? Just watching growing up as a kid, Watch them play on TV. Now you get to experience it live and be dressed up on a 53-man roster. It's definitely a dream come true and an opportunity, you know, that not a lot of people get to have, you know what I'm saying? I, there's no doubt about it. So I, this is the important – I'm really nervous because the first time we talked to you, like we've talked to Baltimore kids and been like, man, I bet you're a big Orioles guy. They're like, no, we like I, – I like the Red Sox. I like the yeah. – I'm like, oh, no. Were, yeah. were you a big Ravens fan growing up? Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. My whole family, you know, like – People outside, you know, friends and family always watch the Ravens. Been to a bunch of games growing up. So I wasn't probably like a diehard fan, but this was like the only thing I knew based around like my family watching them and friends and just being around the atmosphere for real. So, yeah. Did, did, did you, were you the type that went to games at all as a kid or went oh, out yeah, to pre- to a, Yeah, definitely. I've been to a couple games growing up. Did you ever, did you ever own anybody's uniform? Did you have like a Ray Lewis or an Ed Reed jersey or anything like that when you were a kid? I had. I had a Ray Lewis jersey growing up. I had a Steve McNair jersey. Wow. <laughs> wow. Dude, how old would you have been when Steve McNair was in Baltimore? Like eight? Yeah, I was definitely young. Around, yeah. Around that age. Eight, yeah, I definitely was young. I'm not really sure exactly, but I definitely was young. Yeah, it got to have been around that age, eight or ten, yeah. Wow, man. Wow, that's cool. So, you, you, I mean, like you were a legitimate fan. Like you were legitimately, maybe not as ardent. You weren't like, you know, maybe we're putting on purple face paint every week. But yeah, you were, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I would say, yeah, definitely was a fan. That's so cool, yeah. man. That's so cool. So, so the first time you put on – a Ravens uniform. Did you have like a a goosebump? Even you know, just for like a mini camp. Did you have like a goosebumpy moment when that happened? Oh yeah, definitely. It was probably uh yeah rookie mini camp. Uh, just to go in the locker room and see your name on the back of the jersey. It was just like surreal, you know. It's definitely 
it was amazing. It was definitely a, a great opportunity for me. And at that moment, it was just like, all right, I'm here now. So it's, it's time to get to work. You That's know? cool, but man. It definitely was the first time, 100%, man. It's definitely a surreal moment for me. And the opportunity to do it, you know, as we allude to in Cincinnati, where I guess let's start with, like, how many of your friends and family managed to make it out for the game? Uh, I had a couple uh, family members that actually lived in Ohio. That okay. Was there, but it was such short notice for, like, it was literally two days before. The yeah, game. that's true. It's tough. You know, it's yeah, tough to pull right. off. Man. Yeah. They would have felt really silly if you had gotten in and thrown for like four touchdowns. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, it definitely was on home watching. You know, I had uh, I had a couple family members that lived in Ohio, like I said, that actually were at the game. But other than that, man, it's definitely a blessing. How were you able to control your emotions? You know, in a, in a situation like that, where like you know. You're you're a Baltimore Raven like that day. It's not like you're technically on the team or anything. Like you were legitimately there to try to help the team, you know, win a pl- win a game, get into the playoffs. How did you manage to handle all of those emotions, Kenji? Um, it definitely was an up and down feeling, you know, like especially you know being on and off of the team this whole week. But like this is my first time being actually active, so it was definitely like I was one step away from playing. You know, I was the backup quarterback that game. Right. So, um just controlling my emotions and staying, you know, towards the path and being that person I've always been, you know, you know, uh, cool, calm and collective and keeping all my emotions blown up. Cause it definitely was a lot of emotions going on with me being there, but it's my opportunity to come to play. I, I had to be ready, you know, so it's just a, another day, another, you know, opportunity. It's just such a cool story. Kenji Bahar is with us, Baltimore kid, Calvert Hall alum, and of course spent uh, the majority of the season with the Baltimore Ravens. He's with us now here on GCR. Kenji, who got you here? Um, you know, th- th- this is your hometown, right? Like, and, and yeah. you know that not everybody from this city makes it, right? Like, you know how this works. Exactly. How, you know, obviously you played a significant role, right? Like, you control your destiny. But who else? Who else got you to this point that you, you know, no matter what happens, and, and I hope it's great success moving forward, but no matter what, you'll be able to tell everybody you made it. You, you were an NFL player as a kid coming up out of Baltimore. Yeah, um, definitely my support system, my family, you know, uh, they was there with me along my whole journey, you know, since I was a kid, you know, just pushing me to be great and just having faith in me no matter what happened. Uh, they was always by my side. So I would definitely say my family and God, you know, just keep my trust in God and just whatever opportunity comes, you know, taking full advantage of it, whether I'm here today or gone tomorrow on the team or not, it's, it's an opportunity. And I, I just, I'm just blessed, man. It's definitely I'm just blessed, man. <laughs> were, were there guys that you reached out to? You know, I don't, I don't know. You know. Like, obviously, you never, you weren't there with Adrian Amos at Calvert Hall. I don't know if you know him well, or if he's somebody that you reached out. Like, were there guys that in your circle and, and Monmouth, not necessarily the place that's produced, you know, an overwhelming number of NFL players. Like, who were there guys you were able to reach out to for advice, things like that, that that had been through it before? Um, yeah, I got a bunch of guys that's in the league that's playing right now. Um, good friends with Adrian. Uh, if you know, you know, Baltimore, everybody's close and tight. Everybody there is everybody. a reason we call it Smaltimore, right? Like that is yeah, legitimately exactly the reason. Everybody. Yeah. yeah. So whether it was just on Instagram through text or call, you know, a lot of people reached out to me, like wishing me good luck and hoping to see me play. You know, everybody, yeah, I hope to see you play. <laughs> right. but, but yeah, uh, definitely a, a great support system. Uh, a lot of people reached out, so that's that's cool. Was there any one like message or piece of advice that that stuck with you? Was there anything during even you know going back to like when you got your shot, you know, just in minicamp? Was there anything? And maybe it was a teammate, maybe it was a coach that somebody told you that you're like, man, this is gonna stay with me. Um, that's been significant through this first year that I've experienced this as a, a pro football player. Um, not necessarily one thing that that stepped out, but like um, 
just like my family being around, just like uh, just telling me like your opportunity is gonna come, your opportunity is gonna come, and for it to actually come, you know, it's just like uh, like damn, like I, I told you it was gonna happen. It's just like one of those type of feelings, one of those type of scenarios. So that was probably one of them that stuck out the most. But other than that, a lot of stuff that was you know told to me uh, stuck with me along the way. Do you, you know, I, I guess the question is what's next, right? And I'm sure part of that for you is you don't know. <laughs> like, this is the, mm-hmm. you know, two weeks ago you were, you were a play away from being an NFL quarterback, and then a couple days later you weren't on the roster <laughs> anymore, exactly. right? It's the nature of the business. I know um, there's another pro league that's going to, you know, try to do something this spring. It, is your goal to say, hey, I, I'm sort of in the NFL orbit, so I'm hell-bent focused on that, or do you start thinking about – you know, like other opportunities, maybe to go show yourself to, to get back to that place. How does this work in the coming months? Um, honestly, like just like you really don't know. You know, any opportunity uh comes through, you know, you got to take advantage of. But the ultimate goal is, uh, you know, being the NFL. But right now, I'm just staying ready. You know, hopefully, I'll be assigned to a team in the off season, futures contract. But other than that, man, I'm just I'm always ready. I got a, a wonderful agent, John Perez, uh, that's always get me opportunities. You know. But other than that, man, you just got to stay ready. I'm just training every day, you know, keeping focused and trying to maintain and be healthy. Uh, a couple, as everybody should be. Of course. A couple of people already pointed out to me when I brought up age. I completely forgot to mention Lawrence Cager, who, of course, has made the NFL out of Calvert oh, yeah. Hall as well, right? Like, man, you guys, it, it's kind of a takeover at this point, right? Like, there's sort of a I – know, I know it's probably frustrating what happened on Thanksgiving this year, but, like, there's still – it's like a, a Calvert Hall moment right now, right? Yeah, it's, for sure. Shout out to my dog Lawrence, man. That's one of my closest friends. Yeah. Uh, right now, so that's yeah. cool, man. That's really, really cool, and it, it's been neat to see him get that opportunity. Um, yeah. Kenji, do, do you are you the type that like you know did did you keep anything from the game in Cincinnati or like you know because you didn't play do you say hey man like, are are you a memento person did you want anything from that day? Uh, no, I I ain't keep nothing. I still got a bunch of like you know gear and stuff, and I got my cleats and uh, buzzer, and uh, I ain't keep. I wasn't a bunch. I actually gave away a lot of my stuff to a bunch of the fans. That was there, you know. Oh, that's cool. That's a cool thing for you to do. The people that came out made the trip. That's neat, man. Yeah, that's a yeah. that's a neat thing for you to do. I was actually thinking maybe you keep it all for like Christmas presents for people, right? Like yeah. you got all these Ravens fans in your life. <laughs> you don't you don't have to shop for a few years. Yeah, yeah, no. Nah, yeah, I gave that away, man. What What was the experience like for you? You know, besides the fact that it was the team gro- that you rooted for growing up, there's a lot made about the atmosphere in Baltimore, and I know you don't have you know way to you know juxtapose that against other places, um, but a lot is made about you know why it's different with the Ravens. Did Did you feel any of that going through this this season in the various ways that you were part of this team, like sort of the special atmosphere and why a team that maybe lost. A hundred players to injury was still battling like hell, game in and game out, as the season went on. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like you said, I, I haven't been a bunch of NFL locker rooms, but I mean, that locker room was special. A lot of like, especially being you know the last man on the roster per se, you know, like that undrafted quarterback. A lot of like the vet guys, you know, reached out to me and like, yeah, like was pushing for me. And I mean, I feel like you don't see that in a lot of you know different places. I mean, like in college, you always got you know. Your, your star player, he's not really talking to the walk-on every day, you know. Hmm. Um, uh, it's just not, you You don't see that in a bunch of locker rooms. But, uh, I mean, as soon as I came in, Calais Campbell, I mean, he had a conversation with me, uh, just telling me, like, he's rooting for me. Wow. You know, small school guy, you know, uh, just pushing. I mean, that's that's different coming, you know, coming from a guy like that, NFL vet, just to hear that from him. But definitely the, uh, the vibe in the locker room is different. That's awesome. Different. That's awesome, man. Did you, do you, um, 
do you like do you ask anybody for an autograph do you ask anybody for like you, you don't want to be a tourist right like you want to look like you belong but you know y- you were in a room with lamar effing jackson <laughs> right like do you do you do you go about that at any point do you do you ask for a picture or something like that it's... nah okay nah, man. It was, and that's that's not how the vibe is like, i get it yeah, nobody's above anybody in a in that situation or in that locker room. So it's definitely cool, you know. It's just like any other locker room per se. You're cooler so than I am in that moment, man. Day, but you know, it's your job. So definitely. I I hear you. I hear you, bro. <laughs> I hear you, man. But that's still that's you know that's still Lamar Jackson that we're talking about, right? Like, what 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 was it like? What did you learn from seeing him, right? You, you know, this is a guy that's it's transcends football, right? He's a pop culture figure. What did you learn from just spending time around him? Um, he's a crazy athlete, man. Some things he did on that practice field that I've never seen before. And just if you're a quarterback being a, the most athletic person on the field, you don't really get that off and quite too often. But he was, and man, I, he's a freak athlete and great person too. <laughs> That's cool, man. That's really, really cool. That's very, very cool. Kenji, it's so neat to hear you talk about this, man. I'm so glad you didn't tell us that you were like a Cowboys fan growing up. Man. That would have really. <laughs> It would have just really ruined everything about what a story exactly. this was and how cool this has been. Uh, Kenji, is there anything we can plug for you? Twitter, Instagram, places where, where people can be following you. Whether it's with the Ravens moving forward or not, like, you know, the, you're one of ours, and we want to root for you. You know, as you know how it goes. As long as it's not Pittsburgh, like, we will, of course, be rooting for you anywhere. Where can people be following you? Uh, just my name, man, uh, Kenji Bahar, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter. Yeah, give him a follow there, Kenji. Uh, great story, man. And, and again, I'm I'm hoping that this isn't the peak of it, right? Like I'm hoping you have significant successes coming your way. But no matter what, it, it's really cool to see uh, a kid from here get this opportunity with the hometown team and 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 become an NFL player, man. Congratulations on that. Best of luck moving forward. Thank you for taking a couple of minutes for us this morning. Oh yeah, no problem, man. I appreciate you having me. Kenji Bahar, uh, pride of Calvert Hall, and uh, spent the, the better part of the season with the Ravens, um, and was he was he was the quarterback. He was in a uniform, ready to go in that game against Cincinnati when Josh Johnson had to start with uh, Tyler Huntley sidelined due to COVID. And it's a neat story. It's, it's I'm really glad. I'm just really glad that he he was a Ravens fan and he was a guy that owned a Steve McNair uniform. That's so cool, man. Um, so it's it's neat to see, and and who knows, right? Like obviously the Ravens aren't prioritizing who their third quarterback is on their right. roster moving forward, but um, he'd be somebody that knows your system, if if you're keeping the same system, that is, and would make sense for them at very, very small cost to say, come back, be a part of it again next year, and, and we'll see what happens. Um, doesn't mean they will. Doesn't mean that there won't be some other guy that they like more and becomes available or... Um, you know, they draft a quarterback. I keep talking about that. Like, they could absolutely draft a quarterback in the sixth round. It's just a guy that they love. They're like, we think this guy's a player, and he's sitting here in the sixth round. We don't need a quarterback, but you never know when you're going to end up. quarterback. Exactly right, as they learned this year when they had to start Josh Johnson in a football game, right? right. So um, we'll see how that plays out. It would have been cool if he did get a chance. I mean, it was yeah, a blowout. Yeah, it would have been really neat to put him into the end. Just like Because you just don't know. And that's the that's the difficult part about this conversation is I hope that Kenji Bahar gets more opportunities. Mm-hmm. But being, you know, being honest, we don't know if he's ever going to get another opportunity. We just don't know. Like, right. this is the NFL that we're talking about. You never know. So with that said, it would have been really nice for him to at least get into the game, throw a pass, to, to say he threw a pass in the NFL – no matter what happens moving forward, he'll always have that. But right. he was—he got to experience it. He was dressed and and there in like he was a play away, 
Correct. He was an NFL player um, for sure in that game against Cincinnati. And um, it's a neat story for somebody that's worked hard. And as I keep saying, I hope there's many more of those coming for Kenji Bahar in the coming years. All right. Today's show has also been brought to you by Underdog Fantasy Football. The code is PRESSBOX. You use it when you make your first deposit, underdogfantasy.com, or you download the Underdog app. And when you do... You will get $100 for up to it. Let me, mm, mm, sorry, strike that. If you deposit up to $100, you get your deposit matched up to $100. Got to be careful. If you deposit $20, you're not getting $100. You're getting $20. If you deposit $50, you're getting $50. Y'all can do math. We match it. Whatever it is that you deposit, it gets matched up to $100. So if you deposit $1,000, you get $100. It's that simple underdogfantasy.com download the app um, it continues even though football season is coming to a close there will of course be games for the playoffs and then there's basketball there's hockey if we ever get around to baseball being a thing again then there will be baseball plenty of those things fun games player props parlays you feel like you're betting which you still can't do on your phone or on your computer yet in the state of Maryland but you can play underdog fantasy football and feel like you are again underdogfantasy.com We'll come back in, get a tidbit, get tubit, or wind down for a Tuesday edition of Glenn Clark Radio. That first sip. That first bite. Mm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. The latest issue of Press Box is available now, and it's our very special annual Best of Issue on the cover. We celebrate Justin Tucker as our Mo Gabba Sports Person of the Year, honoring his historic on-field achievements, but also the unprecedented relationship he shared with Baltimore. Inside, we recognize the top people, performances, and moments of 2021, including Cedric Mullins' incredible season and the dominance of local Paralympic athletes. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Sports fans, the wait is over. The all-new FanDuel Sportsbook is now open at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover, Maryland. This is your chance to win big right in your own backyard. Bet on every sport with self-service kiosks and watch all of the action from the best seat in the house. Make every moment more at the all-new FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Please play responsibly. Gambling problem? Please call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit mdgambling.com. Help.org. Need to hone your computer skills to boost your career? Or maybe you want an IT certification. CCBC Continuing Education has the courses and programs you need for a career in the computer field. And it's all tuition free. From the basics to specialized training, we have the classes you need from hardware to programming to cybersecurity and so much more. It's your choice. It's your career. Call 443-840-4700 or visit ccbcmd.edu slash computer training. 
Window Depot Baltimore provides the highest quality Pro-Via windows, doors, and siding for all budgets. The best is finally affordable. Call them today for a free in-home consultation at 410-941-3499. They also offer Zoom and FaceTime consultations in an effort to practice social distancing. A proud sponsor of the Tyus Bowser Show, you can find out more at windowdepotbaltimore.com. If you miss anything, don't forget that you can find whole shows later on Spotify, Apple, or Amazon Podcast. It's Glenn Clark Radio. All right, back in here on GCR. Today's show also brought to you by Mobile One. Mobile One, full synthetic motor oil, helps extend engine life. Visit your local Jiffy Lube service center. Ask for Mobile One. Uh, appreciate Kevin Eck, including my column yesterday in the Ravens Late for Work today. It always ends up getting a, a new audience for it. Um, you know, I maintain what I said. I I, I think the Ravens should, quote-unquote, run it back next year. And it's not quite that simple. They have player decisions to make. They've got free agents. They've got a... Ronnie Stanley is the... This is, the again, the boring part about where the Ravens are is the, the story of 2022 for the Baltimore Ravens is Ronnie Stanley. That's the story. Simple as that. Ronnie Stanley is the story. Will he be Ronnie Stanley or not? Will he be something close to Ronnie Stanley? Will he be close enough that they've got left tackle solved? Because if they do, that goes a... And it's different than the other players that got hurt because we're not talking about somebody who's missed two years, right? Like, it's it's one thing... I'm assuming Marlon Humphrey's fine. I'm assuming that... You know, I, I don't know where we're going to be with Tyus Bowser. There will be people that will tell you that Achilles does not take as long as it used to, and mm-hmm. so he could be ready for the start of next season. That one's a little bit more complicated now because it happened at the end of the year. I'm assuming that you're going to get a full season of Nick Boyle. I'm assuming that you're going to get, um, you know, for the most part, I'm assuming the safeties are going to be okay next year. But Ronnie Stanley clouds everything because it's such a critical part of the field. There are only so many players that are capable of playing a high level of left left tackle in the NFL, and you've got one, and they're taking up a great deal of your salary cap. So Ronnie Stanley's the story, and that's boring because it's not a decision that can be made. It's boring because there's no take to have. There's no debate about Ronnie Stanley. It's a boring topic of conversation because all it is is waiting to find out. But that's the reality. The Ravens' offseason will largely be determined by whether or not Ronnie Stanley can be Ronnie Stanley again. There's nothing Eric DaCosta can do about that. There's nothing Steve Bishotti can do about that. They can do a press conference next week, and they can answer whatever questions they, that you want to ask them or somebody would want to ask them. But they don't know. No one knows whether Ronnie Stanley can be Ronnie Stanley again. And it is overwhelmingly the single biggest determining factor as to how good the 2022 Baltimore Ravens will be. Because they can't move on from him. He's here. And he's really important. They, and if Ronnie Stanley's Ronnie Stanley, the offensive line looks drastically different, even if they've got to move on for Bradley Bozeman. You suddenly start feeling good about the Ravens' offensive line if you can just have Ronnie Stanley be Ronnie Stanley. And that changes everything. So it's boring. It's not good for talk radio. It's not good for Twitter. It's just it's a, it's a boring conversation. 
But that's the reality. That's the biggest issue that faces the Ravens. Not anything that they do in free agency, not anything they do in the draft, not any of this stuff. Not the coordinator position. The biggest issue facing the Ravens is not even Lamar Jackson's contract. Is singular. Can Ronnie Stanley be Ronnie Stanley again? Because if he can't, it is very hard to overcome that player soaking up that much of your cap and sort of setting up. Now somebody else has to play left tackle. Now you're weaker. That like it's just the the domino effects of that are significant, as we saw this year, of all of the injuries they went through. And you could say at the end, Lamar Jackson losing your quarterback is more significant. So you know, I get maybe start with that. They need to have Lamar Jackson on the field next year. But presuming Lamar Jackson is going to be on the field, which we are presuming, that's the story. It's Ronnie Stanley, plain and simple. Um, I got a question from Chris. Chris says, Glenn, I saw a lot of people talking last night about how it's awkward to play the national championship game on a Monday. What do you make of that argument, and what can college football do about it? Nothing. I mean, really nothing. If, if you want to say a Thursday would be better than a Monday, they could move the game perhaps to like Thursday of this week. But like the people that are clamoring that they, the college football should play their championship on a, on a Saturday, the NFL is not seeding you Saturdays any longer. The NFL owes college football nothing. They don't owe anybody anything. And you could say, hey, the NFL should do the right thing and allow Saturday night to be the college football playoff championship game. Why? Why should the NFL do that? Tell me. Tell me why the NFL should do that. College football does not want to put their championship game on up against an NFL game because they're going to get their asses handed to them for their championship game. So their options... Now that the NFL has moved the season back a week, they could try to rush it and make sure they play it. Like Maybe the NFL is not going to be married to this Saturday doubleheader in week 18. I don't know. It was kind of a dud this year, and I don't know that you're going to get enough games that are meaningful to make it a thing every year, but they certainly think it is, so I think that's going to stick. The only other option would be to try to, to... play the playoffs all in December and have the New Year's weekend games be your championship day. That's really the only other option that college football has. And I don't know if the bowl system will go along with that because I think the bowls like having the semifinal games be actual bowl games. It, it just gives more meaning to the Orange Bowl that year or the Cotton Bowl or the Fiesta Bowl, whatever bowl game it is. Um, and they've got the money, so they get to be involved in these decisions, but the only other real option for college football would be to say January 1st or whatever stupid date you're making your January. Next year, it's, it's going to be the 31st, but it's not going to be as bad as the 31st is a Saturday. It's still the second game will lose Sting because it'll be on, you know, if, if we're able to go out as a society again, we'll be out for New Year's Eve, so that'll hurt it, but... You know, at least Saturday. They don't have the option of playing the games on the first next year because the first is a Sunday, and the NFL will be playing on that date. Um, they'll probably you could maybe do it on Monday because you're assuming that it's an, uh, a holiday for most people, but it's a Monday. I mean, it's tricky. Um, so whether it's the first or whatever date they make the first, that's their only real option if they want to move it off of Monday night, is to put it on that date and do all the whatever, whether it's just the semifinals or however much of the tournament they're going to have moving forward if they expand. They didn't get an expansion deal done yet this weekend while they were meeting together in Indianapolis. Um, 
whatever that looks like, they could try to play that during the month of December between Championship Weekend and New Year's Day. But if we still want to feign that these are students, you're not supposed to do that because they're in finals then. And it's not a great time to be playing these games because people have plans around the holidays. So I think that it just sort of is what it is. I don't think they have much of a problem. The numbers for the championship games have all been good TV-wise. What else are we doing on a Monday? Like we say it's weird, but what else are we doing on a Monday night in January that we wouldn't want to sit around and watch a college football game? What's the competition? The Bachelor? I mean, like, if you want to watch The Bachelor, watch The Bachelor. I I, I think it's about what they can do. on it. And other than to say maybe you can move it to Thursday and we just, maybe we like Thursday better than Monday. But I don't know. I think this is sort of what their option is. And they don't want to extend it too far because then that's more players are going to choose to opt out because they want to go get ready for trying to get to the draft. You want to keep the players playing in the game, so you don't want to drag it out to mid-January. You want to keep it close to January 1st. This is kind of the way that you do it. So I think that's your. I really believe that's your only option. It being on a Monday enabled me to watch the game. I can't remember the last time I was able to actually sit down and watch a national championship game. Well, they've been you, playing on Mondays for years now. I, I, this is the first year I'm also not working on a Monday. Oh, that's but like, a, that's but, a different conversation. But, but, like but, yeah. if it, but if it was on a Saturday, there's no way I'd be able to even watch it. Well, I mean, I think people just associate Saturdays with college football, and so that's like in, in the college football. This is a difficult place to have this conversation because we're just not a college football-driven area, right? right. Like we don't, yeah. plan our, we don't plan our weeks around a college football game. Whereas in some parts of the country, they genuinely plan their weeks around watching college football on a Saturday. And so for for those people, I certainly get the argument um, that you want to have the game on a Saturday because it's what we associate with college football and our own traditions. It's This is just not a market where that type of stuff matters. I think for the sake of the TV show, it's a great night to do it. Nobody's got nobody's doing anything on a Monday night. There are no plans. I mean, I was working. I was at Loyola for a basketball game, but I, thankfully that game went quick, and I still got to watch the overwhelming majority of the championship game. Um, most people aren't working. We're all at home. I, I I heard Paul list off Tubular yesterday. There was nothing else going on. Yeah, there was The Bachelor. I don't even know if it was like a new episode of The Bachelor. I just saw that people were talking about The Bachelor. That's all I know. Um, that's it. That's it. So why wouldn't what what is the problem with playing the college football? It was a it's a nice distraction when it's cold and miserable and there's nothing to do. You got a big football game to watch. How's that a problem? It it seems like we're trying to to fix problems that don't exist. I, and maybe if you're the people that are traveling to the game, you would rather it be on a weekend because it's less time you have to take off work, but it's a small percentage of the world that we're talking about is people that are taking that are going to the game. So I, I, I just think it's a problem that doesn't actually exist. I, I, I think it's it's totally fine that they play their championship game on a Monday. Yeah, if Monday Night Football has an audience, the national championship game has an well, audience. That's, a, that's the only the only thing is like we also like watching football on Thursdays. Like I was I I was bitterly mad last Thursday night. There was no football game to watch. Oh, I was too. I was very upset. Like it's the Thursday. I got nothing to do. I w- I want to sit down and watch a football game. And it was my realization that it's over. We're not gonna not gonna have it for as many people as bitch about Thursday night football. I, it's a part of our life. We get the Thursday, and we're like, great, we've got football to watch, and then nothing, zippy, and there won't be for for months. So, man, you want to again? If you want to just say Thursday's as good as Monday and move it to Thursday, okay, fine, move it to Thursday. But what's really the difference there? People are still gonna have to take time off of work, travel to the game. I I, I just don't know that it makes all that much of a difference. 
Maybe it's more separated. I do think that in like sports media world, it's difficult to have the championship game be on a Monday because the NFL is king. Mm-hmm. And so on Monday, on all the national shows, after an NFL Sunday, that's what people are going to be talking about. There's not going to be the appetite to talk about the college football playoff championship game that's coming up that night because the NFL rules. So if maybe you moved it to Thursday, right, you'd be a little bit disconnected and you could get more conversation going on by Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of that week. People would have more of an appetite. They've, they've removed themselves from the games that happened. There aren't more NFL games again until Saturday. So it just might be better for getting attention to the game and getting people to care to have it on a Thursday because you'd get – you know, the, the Stephen A. Smiths of the world would pretend like they know what's going on and they know who the <laughs> players are for Georgia foot. Let's not, I'm not trying to knock Stephen A. Smith. I don't know either. Like, I can name, I watched the game last night and today I could name five maybe players that play for, for Georgia and five maybe that play for Alabama and I watched the game. <laughs> um, but we, you know, you could get maybe more of the national shows to pretend like they follow college football and you would get more of a ramp up in that way to the, the game itself by having like a Wednesday, Thursday where people were talking about it before the game was Thursday night. So I guess you can make that argument that that would be good for them, but outside of that, I don't know how I just spent eight minutes talking about that subject. I have no idea how that's possible. Let's get a tidbit. Tidbits brought to you by the print issue of Pressbox, which is available right now. It's our best of 2021 issue with our MoGaba Sports Person of the Year, Justin Tucker, on the cover. It's available for free at your neighborhood Royal Farms, any of the hundreds of locations around town where you find Pressbox. Or read it all, pressboxonline.com slash bestof. All right. On uh, on Sunday, Cooper Cup hauled in seven receptions for 118 yards and a touchdown, giving him the second most receptions in a single season at 145, just four behind Michael Thomas's 149 in 2019. His 1,947 receiving yards this season are also second all-time behind Calvin Johnson's 1964 in 2012. On the season, Cup averaged 114.5 yards per game, and he now sits seventh in NFL history with a 77.7 yards per game average for his career. Which six receivers are ahead of him in yards per game average for their careers? For their careers. Is there a minimum, like... Uh, Are any of them them rookies this year? You know, like, there's... No, one of them is... So like fairly new. Justin Jefferson is the one that jumps off the page at me. So he qualifies for yes, this. Yes, he's okay. number two, ninety one point yeah, four. Justin Jefferson is such a machine, man. Ninety one point four is second all time. I know the Vikings are so irrelevant that like we just don't and like he's and we don't know that much about Justin Jefferson's personality, right? Mm-hmm. But like my God, from a production standpoint, Justin Jefferson is a monster. Like yeah. is is doing things that put him in a realm that is sort of unheard of before. Um, most receiving yards per game, because that's what I'm thinking of. Who are the guys that didn't? I feel like, I feel like it helps to be active because you maybe haven't gotten into the twilight of your career that hurts your receiving yards per game. So I'm gonna say DeAndre Hopkins. He is number six, seventy-seven point. And how many? Remind me how many were there were that there were um there were seven. You've already guessed two. Okay, so I still have five more. I'll try Stefan Diggs. And I'm sorry, there were six you've already guessed, too. Stefan Dix is not Because no, he was splitting with Adam Thielen for a few years. That's right. Um, how about... So for the record, four left. <sighs> I'll still say Julio, but it might have been tough this year. Julio Jones is number one all time, 91.9 yeah. yards per game. I believe that. 
How about Michael Thomas? Michael Thomas is fourth all-time with 85 yards even per game. How about Devontae Adams? No. He's not even in the top 20. That's surprising. That's shocking. That's very surprising. Um, how about... Is there anybody else who's active? One. There's one other one who's active. So you have two guys left. One of them is active. Technically. He played in the league this year. A.B. A.B. Antonio Brown. I I wouldn't have gotten that if you had not said it the way that you said it. Like, you had to say it the way that you said it in order for me to get there. Because that's still a little surprising to me. He's fifth all-time, 84.2, and then you have one left. One left. One left. Who would fit the bill? Who didn't really have a twilight of their career? Who's oh, uh, Calvin Johnson. Calvin Johnson. Calvin Johnson. Third all-time, 86.1 yards per game. I thought you weren't it's, guessing it well, because you thought because he was part of the question. No, but it's it's a it's a it's a tricky thing to do to find guys that fit the bill for this because as I said, like it's better to be active and not. That's why Julio was tricky because he but he didn't really play all that many games this season. Yeah, he played so like four games. <laughs> that didn't really bring his average down. Um, you just. And and guys that have played typically hung on for a year where they just a year or two where they weren't very productive and that brings your career average down. Mm-hmm. It's why, you know, active players are more likely to be on this list right. than guys that aren't active. And Calvin Johnson makes sense because he never had a twilight of his career. He right. just he left. retired in the he prime just said, of his career. I'm good. Probably still suit up and play today. Probably could still be very helpful today. His his at this point in his life. His Hall of Fame uh speech was kind of was very eye opening to me about why he retired. Just th- I didn't I didn't I didn't really pay so, attention. So the Hall of Fame, it, it was just it got to the point where it was almost debilitating for him to get out of bed oh, from, oh, from, from, makes, from yeah, all sure. the hits that he sure, took. Sure, hundred percent. Like like because he retired early, he was still in great shape, still in great condition, but right. the the pain that he was experiencing from all the hits, mm-hmm. he just couldn't do it anymore. Calvin Johnson is thirty six years old. He could definitely still help a football team today. There Absolutely. is no doubt. In Tom my Brady's forty four years old, uh, slinging well, yeah, three hundred yards. But he's it's a little bit different. You don't it's different, take but the it's, contact that Calvin Johnson was I mean, taking. But he's but, still definitely. I mean, could Ben Roethlisberger is thirty nine. He can't throw it further than fifteen yards. And you would argue he wasn't really helping his team. You right. would argue that he wasn't really helpful this year. All right, very good. Uh, Tubular is brought to you by Live Casino and Hotel. Sports fans, the wait is over. The all-new FanDuel Sportsbook is now open at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover, Maryland. Bet on all of the games with self-service kiosks and watch them from the best seat in the house. Love that place. Love the food. Love the atmosphere. Just a very cool spot. I think we might be doing some events with Live Casino and Hotel here in 2022. Kind of working on that right now, but it just might be that we encourage you to come down and hang out and watch games with us and experience live casino and hotel and it's a cool place for me so just something that we're working on um for 2022 and we hope we can uh, put that together moving forward here's what's coming up tonight totally tubular wise as we mentioned towson's on national tv tonight as they take on hofstra five o'clock on cbs sports network that's the only local team in action this evening the big 10 games tonight rutgers penn state at 6 30 on btn illinois nebraska at 8 30 on btn as well the rest of the college basketball you can find at glennclarkradio.com. Uh, Thunder Wizards, 7 o'clock on NBC Sports Washington. NBA TV is Warriors Grizzlies at 8. Uh, Warriors got Clay Thompson back over the weekend. They, I told you before the season, like I did not understand looking at their odds. I'm like, man, i got to throw a few shekels down on them to win the NBA title. And now they got Clay back. Eh, I'm not, it's no guarantee. They still have the best record in the NBA by a good bit. Not right? by a good bit, but like. They, they still have the best record in the NBA. The Suns aren't far behind, although the Suns lost a game. I don't remember who they lost to. 
They beat the Clippers on Thursday, and then they turned around and lost a game over the weekend. Um, but yeah, I mean, like they're the team to beat right now. The Warriors are so, and they got Clay Thompson too. Uh, Nuggets Clippers ten thirty on NBA TV, ESPN Plus and Hulu for the Red Wings and Sharks at ten thirty. The USA Network for Leicester City and Everton at three, and then WWE NXT at eight. Some non sports highlights. Um, on the Late Show with Stephen Colbert, Bradley Cooper's on. Uh, Jim Gaffigan is going to be on Jimmy Kimmel Live. And then Maggie Gyllenhaal is going to be on uh, the, the Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon. Superman and Lois on the CW at 8 o'clock. You have uh, a new movie, Dear Mother, a Netflix film that's on Netflix. and you know, FBI, FBI, Internet, all the FBI should, shows. Are, I need to know what nights the, uh, the the NBC comedies that I like now are on. I need you to be including the, the American audio I enjoy. Oh, well, that, that's, that's, that's I, tonight. I, uh, yeah, it's, I, yeah, I, I like I like that show. So, I like Amer- that show. American Autos at eight, Grand I, Crew at eight thirty. This is us at nine. Well, I don't care. Uh, this is us is not for our audience. I don't think. I mean, maybe there is a crossover there. I liked but, This is us. I, I, oh, I no. I, I said I liked oh, no. it. I liked it. I'm a bit of a sap. All right, you ask my wife. Um, but no, I uh, I haven't been able to finish. I wasn't able to finish I also, last season. I, I said I enjoyed Abbott Elementary. Oh my God, Gemstones. Oh my. God. God, I finally got to watch yesterday. Oh. Of course, I was watching football on Sunday because it was the greatest football game of all time, so I didn't get to watch Gemstones until yesterday. Holy F. I'm, they they kind of just left the end of season one alone, which was like a little bit weird. Like They just immediately went. So, to s- so before you continue, the yeah. wife and I are watching. Season one right now. We're finishing. I'm not telling you. I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to. I'm not going to tell you anything. And it's not normal. Typically, the type of show. It, it's it's because it's a comedy. It's not normally the show where like spoilers matter all that much, right? Mm-hmm. But the end of the the end of the episode from the other night. Whoa, whoa, wild man. Why Eric Andre is part of season two and he's awesome. Joe Jonas is part of season two, which is very random and fun. I'm I'm Eric Roberts is in season two and is nice. just at his Eric Roberts it like est. Oh my god, I'm so excited. I was excited and I'm more excited now having uh having the only thing I I need more baby Billy. I need more baby Billy in my life immediately. I need more of uh, what the hell is the guy's name? Oh, who plays baby Billy? Jesus. I I don't know why I can't think of it off the top of my head. I know it's not um Oh, it's um. Come on, man! Why am I blanking on on uh, the actor that plays Baby Billy? Right, Walter, Walter- Go- Walton Goggins. Thank you, Jesus. What happened to me there? Uh, but I need more of him. That's the only thing I can ask for. Otherwise, it is spectacular. All right. Uh, thanks today to uh, Kenji Bahar. Thanks also to Dave Ginsburg for unveiling his Hall of Fame ballot and to Patrick Stevens. We'll get all that up in the greatest hits section of the Archives. tab at glennclarkradio.com. I am not going to be here tomorrow. Um, I, you know, I, I, I made it public a couple weeks ago. I, I lost a, um, my best friend, my lifelong best friend passed away like three years ago, and his little sister passed away, unfortunately, two weeks ago. So I'm going down tonight to uh, uh, Richmond, that area. And I'm going to spend some time with uh, his family and celebrate her. And so I will not be back in time for tomorrow's show. Uh, but I will be here on Thursday. And we'll do some Thursday fun and frolic tomorrow on the program. Stan the Fan is going to be here with uh, Paul Valley. So I imagine there will be a little baseball talk as those guys do that. And um, we're trying to mix in some Ravens talk as well. And 
don't know if you guys will do Drew tomorrow, but you know, we'll, we'll just we'll play all play it all out. But uh, Stan the fan will be here, so a um, sort of change of pace on tomorrow's show, and then I will be back with you on Thursday. Thanks to everybody at PressBox, all of our great sponsors and partners, CCBC, Glory Days Grill, Royal Farms, Exxon Mobil, Great Eights Memorabilia, Live Casino Hotel, Underdog Fantasy Football, Duffy's Garage in Baldwin, Window Depot, your local Toyota dealer, buyatoyota.com, and MyBookie. Thanks to Paul Valley. Follow him on Twitter, at Paul Valley the Third. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at Glenn Clark Radio. Have a great Tuesday evening. Go Towson. Duke sucks. Ohio State sucks, too. <laughs>